Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back for the opening weekend of Avengers Infinity War, and we have a spoiler-free, 100% spoiler-free, I swear to you, discussion of the movie. More discussion of the Fantastic Four beyond our usual discussions that you can find on our Baxter Building podcast. A lot of Thanos material written by Jim Starlin, the original Master of Kung Fu series, that Venom trailer, you know the one I'm talking about, Loveless by Abnett and Winslade, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, it feels like we haven't talked for ages, and normally when I say that, we've literally just been talking for a while and then, like, we start recording, Yes. but it really feels like we haven't talked for ages. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, and I mean, which is weird, because I guess really we talked a little bit early to get the last Baxter building out, but, you know, we're practically on schedule. Um, I think it's part of it is it, we're on we're on release schedule, so mm-hmm. like it should like it's we're not that we've gone longer between talking put it that way, yeah. but it just feels like it's been a long time. It really has. It really has. Um, <laughs> normally, I'm like Mister, like let's lead us right into the podcast and then we can gossip after. But uh, I'll probably cut that part out or not. But yes, whatnots. Um, I've been off social media for a bit, in part because I had a hell job that was being held to me, and uh, I only recently wrapped that up, finished it up, and this is this is my this has been my first day not working in uh like a, what twelve days two yeah like like yeah. literally two weeks right yeah, two weeks two weeks and there were a lot of thirteen and fifteen and seventeen hour days in there I don't think I got as high as seventeen but I did get up I, to I, fifteen hours. I just want to tell the whatnots like Jeff's had like a, a really unusual uh seven days at this point yeah of, of yeah. work solidly that we recorded the last back building early and and we I when we were after the recording, we were talking about what was going to go ahead, and Jeff was telling me how just crazy he thought that the next week was going to be. And I, I emailed him in the middle of the week, and I was like, Jeff, how are you doing? It's not that bad, right? And his response was actually, it's a thousand times worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean... dramatic. It, it really was. It was It was hands down. Like, I, I would have to say, I've been at my job for over two decades, and if I had to list like the 10 worst work experiences this last week encapsulated six of them. Yeah. I was going to say six through seven. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. It was just, (laughs) uh, it was just, it was, I mean, I can only talk in generalities and heck, maybe it's not smart to do. You know, maybe we shouldn't do this at all on the podcast because it's your work. Yes, it's true. But let's just say uh, that, for those of you who have had like um, have had a job for a while, you probably have like you've had like work stress dreams, you know, like and <laughs> oh and, yes, mm-hmm, exactly, you know. And what I was shocked by was how how literally nightmares became reality uh, in this job. Like there, and not just one. There there were so many of them where I was like. 
this feels like I remember this nightmare that I've had about work before. I never really thought that it would happen. Exactly. In real I, life. It, it, it's, it, it's literally the dear penthouse. I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> it, it's about a terrible work situation. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Just just terrible. Just terrible, but it's over. It's going to make for Thank kind of an interesting... Yeah. I mean, I say it's over, but, I mean, the nature of it I mean, is that particular phase is over. So Yeah, but, but that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, again, to talk in generalities for the one, not to put this in vague context, you know, amongst the various things that were weird about this was you were you were traveling. You weren't yes. where you normally are. That's right. Uh, and there was a particular deadline, which did mean you had to work like 13, 15, 17 hour days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though obviously because it's work, like nothing <laughs> sounds like ridiculously existential. Nothing ever really ends at work. But, you know, the, yes. the stuff reverberates. Yeah. Um, at least that part is over. Yes. You know, so so hopefully things will improve slightly. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I hope so. But um but but we'll, we really will see. I mean, I'm also impressed by how much it's just been um I don't know. I mean, I I I kind of when people were asking me on Friday cuz it was great. Like I came back to the office and I saw people and they're like, "Oh, so you made it back from the blah 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 project." And I just would look at them and be like, did I? Exactly, exactly. Physically. Yeah. But I, I actually said, I'm like, I kind of feel like it's going to turn out to be like a Sixth Sense type scenario where it turns out that you're talking to my ghost and neither of us know it. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty odd. Pretty, pretty odd to just come back and be like, okay, now I've got the weekend. What am I going to do? And it's, it's been a, like, sleeping a certain well that's just it of... like are you kind of in shock yeah honestly i kind of am I, really we're is. we're just like i didn't realize i could sleep for 17 hours but there you know there you go <laughs> <laughs> i haven't quite been able to pull that off but i do have no but you know what i mean like yeah, you have the exactly. thing where like you're like I, I i may or may not have told you when i came back from the eisners because uh, to, to again give people some context um i'm an eisner judge this year and part of that is you actually go to San Diego with the other judges and you spend like a weekend. I mean, it's slightly longer than a weekend. You spend a few days together. Um, you're talking about everything you've read and like talking through everything to come up with the nominations. And Jeff, I told you that afterwards, like my sleep cycle was fucked yeah. and it was fucked for a week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of expecting that it's going to be the same thing for me because it last night was I don't know. I mean, I was actually I was actually talking with Edie right before we started the podcast, and we were trying to figure out when to do something, run this chore. And she's like, "What if we do it at seven thirty in the morning?" I'm like, "Sure, we'll both be up." She's like, "You're right." I'm like, "Okay, let's do it." You know, the flip side of that may be like I might fall asleep while talking to you on this podcast. You know. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Uh, well, forewarned is forearmed, Jeff. Indeed, indeed. I, I, I have to, I, I have to tell you, mm-hmm. I, I'm intentionally loaded this podcast up by reading things that I know you have read and things that you like. Mm. By which I mean to say, because of the Avengers movie that came out, which I'm presuming you haven't seen. I have not, and I like. I, know I, you I don't. Have. I'm not even 
I'm not even being snarky, just because, like, you literally just got back from this thing, yep. like, yesterday. When would you have had a chance to see the film? And, uh, right. You know, and the thing that's funny, I don't mean to interrupt your narrative flow, but in fact, the thing that's so scary about work was I, in any other circumstance, I would have flown back to San Francisco and then taken the Friday off and gotten a start on my weekend. And I was even like, oh, God, and I wish that I and things were still so crazy that I couldn't. Yeah. You know, so but I I was like, "Ah, if ever like all the stars were in alignment for me to like take the day off work and then try and get into like an 10 30 or 11 a.m showing somewhere I, i've got to tell you i think you'll like it a lot jeff thank you i'm really intrigued uh by i'm intrigued by the way that people have been talking about it like i know people my, are like my my yeah. experience and i'm going to talk in generalities because i don't want to do any plot spoilers yeah please was I spent maybe the first – first of all, it's packed. Yeah. It's, it's a long movie, yeah. but there's so much in there even so. It's the point where like the circumstance of me seeing the film, and I'll get into this a bit more in a second, meant that uh, – you know, I go to the, the local theater that has food, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I went on the first screening of the first night, mm -hmm. and it was very busy, mm -hmm. which meant I got there, and the line for food was literally four times longer than it normally is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not waiting in this line. Fuck it. I'll go and get food in the middle of the film, mm -hmm. I think. So I think I think it's maybe uh, an hour and a half into this film. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, it's been 45 minutes. Good God, really? Because so much has happened. And I don't even mean that in the sense of, like, I'm bored. Just so much has happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy mother of fuck. Yeah. Like, I checked my... my um, my phone and I was like it's only been 45 minutes this is astounding um, I spent a, a, maybe the first half of the film going they're, they're kind of pulling this off mm -hmm. like they're, they're the the narrative flow is uh, and the juggling of the characters is being done really well mm -hmm. you know I think they're pulling this off by the end of the film I honestly was like this has to end not because it was bad yeah. but because I was exhausted yeah well, and that's it. I, I remember seeing a comment along the lines that it was exhausting. And, you know, it's pretty funny because at the place where I work, um, there is a far bigger movie nerd than me. She is awesome. I, I have I, and I have a lot of respect for her opinions. She sees everything. So. Friday, I was walking around and I ducked in and I'm like, so are you seeing Avengers War this weekend? Infinity War? She's like, I saw it already. I'm like, oh, what do you think? She was like, it was really good. And I, I said, I heard it's kind of exhausting. She's like, it sort of has to be. Like, and admittedly, she's someone who liked the movie more than you, and I think is more. No, I, I, but here's the thing: I, I, I like the movie. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know. I, I, well, which is interesting. And, and I, and I totally get what she said, what she means. Mm -hmm. uh, and you will too when you see it. Mm -hmm. Um, the there's a they make a very particular choice mm -hmm. that they kind of had to make in many ways. Interesting. But uh, – and it's one of those things like if you sat down and thought about it, you would – you predict it because I had predicted it. Oh, interesting. And I, and many people have predicted it. Mm -hmm. uh, like I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying in the sense of like like when you think about it, you're like, oh, that's really the only thing they can do. Mm -hmm. But the way they did the only thing they can do mm -hmm. was really – you know? Uh, but it does – it's – it kind. she's right. It kind of has to be emotionally exhausting. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because that's literally the point of view of the characters. Mm. Like it is. Uh, you saw Thor, right? You saw Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, absolutely. It, the movie starts what has to be like maybe an hour after Thor Ragnarok ends. <laughs> Good lord. Right? Wow. If that. Mm-hmm. And does not let up from that point on. The movie is, when they call it Infinity War, that's well chosen because it is like a series of fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically that's all it is. Wow. Like there, there's interstitials between there, which is basically to set up the next fight scene. You know, it's funny that so someone was, I, I, I've made it a point. Like I really actually have been thinking about to, to try stay to off stay Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you should. It's mm-hmm. like it's people are just going to say plot spoilers. And honestly, and I say this as someone who was spoiled going in, mm-hmm. it would be a much better experience if I had not known what was going to happen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, shit. I like I, I genuinely think the spoilers did spoil my experience a bit. Oh, Jesus. Um, I talked about going, I was at the first screening of, in the, like, uh, at the local theater. Mm-hmm. I love that. I do, I try and do that for the big films, the big genre films, um, because I love the audience reaction. Yeah. Right? I've never seen an audience have a more vocal reaction to a film than this film. Whether it's cheering when Captain America shows up, when it's cheering when the title uh, card for Wakanda shows up, which was fucking great. Um, but the end, there's a number of beats at the end where people were gasping, like audibly in shock. Mm-hmm. And someone shouted really loudly, this is bullshit. Wow. wow. And, and not, not in a, I am... Like not now, I this has ruined the film for me. Right. But in a, I am so emotionally invested that this narrative choice right. has really upset me. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That must be that must that is of course a, a wonderful uh, experience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's and so it really is because you know these people had not been spoiled. Mm-hmm. These in fact these people have not been spoiled so much that when there's and I, this is like a, this is a mile. It's not even a spoiler, but like it's a spoiler for the format of the film. Mm-hmm. There's not a, there's not a mid credit scene, mm. and there's but there's a point where you could tell one would go because they do like the you know here's the actors and then it's a black screen before the rest of the title the credits start right right and black screen goes on and then the rest of the credits start and the audience went ah oh. <laughs> like as one which was amazing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like the audience is that into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you really are just like, this is great. Like, this is really good. These people are, you know, they're obviously fans. They're fucking dressed up as the Winter Soldier. Do you know what I mean? Right. But, but to have such a reaction, such a visceral reaction, and to be there for it, really does make the film better. I, I, I can imagine. You know? Mm. Well, that's that's fabulous. I forget, was there... Was there a tie-in point to this? I mean, I definitely wanted to hear all of that. I wanted to hear your take on it. Oh, sure, yes. So, you... so, yeah. Because of all this, and because obviously, like, I, th- I think it was Meg Downey who said this on Twitter, and she's totally right. Anytime a Marvel movie comes out, it is like the Freelancer Olympics, because that's all you fucking write about for a while. <laughs> um, I have read, like, just in the last few days, mm-hmm. Infinity War the comic, Infinity Crusade. Three Thanos graphic novels that Starlin did recently. Mm-hmm. Infinity Abyss, the 2002, I think, miniseries. Marvel Comics, The End, which was like the follow-up to Infinity Abyss. Like, I've read a lot of Starlin Thanos, is what mm-hmm, I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's been... Uh, <laughs> it's 
been an experience check. Now, Graham, let me tell you, because I feel like uh, in our in our previous conversations, um, Thanos never has really fried your burger. I would say yes, and here so here's the weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel Unlimited is a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. and maybe two weeks ago. In fact, less, because it was after we did the last Baxter building, so a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Marvel Unlimited, and I'm honestly like, I'm just, okay, I'm just going to read Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there. Mm-hmm. Why not? You know? like Because, you know, at that point, all this shit is just in my brain. You know, I'm thinking about right. movie, think about Infinity uh, Gauntlet, the comic. And I'm like, I'm going to read Infinity War. You know, it's I've read it many times before. It's never really worked for me. Infinite no Infinity War is that the it's the second one okay. of the trilogy right Which so is... Infinity Gauntlet is the the Gauntlet one yeah Infinity War is the Magus uh, and everyone has an evil duplicate one mm-hmm. Infinity Crusade is the Goddess one which like where honestly is where everything goes off the rails right. um but I'm reading Infinity Crusade uh, Infinity War and I'm digging it and I'm digging it in a way I've never dug it before. And I'm like, I I don't know what it is, but I am like, I'm digging it on on numerous levels. Hmm. Starlin's purple prose is working for me more. Ron Lim's art is working for me more. Wow, like all of it is just working for me more. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, you know, but with the movie coming out and and this, like, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna dig into this shit. Right. I I'm just going to keep riding the Starlin train until I I get exhausted. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the weird thing is that. I wrote it past past me getting exhausted mm-hmm. because Crusade is bad. Crusade is not a good comic. Mm-hmm. Crusade is 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 really not only is is it the worst of the trilogy, it's just kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but I I'm finding myself weirdly interested in what Starlin does with Thanos. In fact, he keeps coming back to characters, yes. you know. So almost formally, I'm just going to keep reading these comics, mm-hmm. you know. Sure, Crusade is terrible. I'm going to read uh, Inf- uh, Infinity Abyss. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like, I'd also you know, added to my library list, sure, give me the print copies of all of Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Jesus. Because there's, there's two collections, which has the whole... Tw- yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. I, and in fact, for what it's worth, I think I bought those for like 99 cents during those crazy... Um, Amazon sales. I've got both volumes of those digitally, which is they're crazily overwhelming mm-hmm. and uh, and I very full in terms of quality. <laughs> I didn't realize they ran for so long. Like I remember, yeah, when that it's, it's like started. forty forty odd issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a really long series, and these books are massive. Mm-hmm. Like the first the first volume is twenty two issues long. Yeah, right, right. Which it's, is insane. Yeah, and again. Getting that for ninety nine cents, it's really insane. Yes, right. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so so uh, Crusade is not very good. But I was like, eh, you know, I, I'll just read Infinity Abyss. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, I just because I'm just kind of in the mood now, and I'm like, Infinity Abyss is not even like good, but fascinating. Mm-hmm. I literally couldn't stop reading it. Hmm. And then I was like, Marvel comic, Marvel Universe, the end. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm weirdly I'm weirdly on this this uh this train now i'd skip the thanos uh series that followed that the starland did mm-hmm. uh honestly because by that point in the library he was like why don't you read the print versions of the three thanos graphic novels 
And I was like, well, they, they all showed up. Like, I right. basically, in like a mass order, and they all showed up. And I was like, sure, why not? And Jeff, you'll remember, I was unkind to yes. these books from yeah. before. Uh-huh. And, and they're still shit. But if you read them in three in a like, if you read them in one sitting, all three, and also the Infinity, God, what is it called? The Infinity Abyss? No, the Infinity Entity, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Starlin and Alan Davis miniseries that fits between the last two books. Mm-hmm. Um, like you get into like a weird rhythm of like weirdness and it all sort of works in a strange way where you're like, this is nowhere near as deep as he thinks it is. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, really kind of trite in terms of philosophy and and existentialism, Mm -hmm. but it like, it has a rhythm to it. It has a, a, uh, momentum to it mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing because honestly the middle one in particular is just a fucking mess of a book mm. like just a, a, a disaster but uh, until you get to the end and the end is basically like oh we've killed them both off mm. <laughs> and you're like but there's a third book like what <laughs> uh, but up like really up until like maybe the last quarter of that book you're like this is like where the fuck is this book going this is terrible mm-hmm. like this this literally has no momentum and and starlin as a writer is spe- the more and more he goes on becomes a writer who purposefully has no momentum mm-hmm. like something is about to happen in one of these comics and then it'll cut to thanos who is a floating head in the corner of the panel going and this is what happened right and he just re- like resorts to this trick over and over again you're like this is amazing like th- this is practically like a storybook because <laughs> Starlin just can't get out of his own way, but you like that. Even that appeals in a really strange way. No, I get it. I get and, it. And I really genuinely was like, I think I've been turned around by Starlin just by like fucking Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I think, and this is probably where you're going to dramatically disagree with me, and you're going to have better grounding because. I have not read as much as you, and I have not read as recently as you have. So I'm really walking into this, like, ready to be quickly disarmed. But one of the things that struck me when we did the latest Baxter building, and we talked about Simonson bringing back Doom, and the sort of the way that you uh, had put it, you were kind of like, yeah sort of Simonson working to kind of fix the problems with Doom and sort of strip away a, the, the camp or or recontextualize it, I suppose, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me um, thinking, thinking about that interpretation of Doom and thinking about Doom generally is how much... Thanos is basically to me picks up the picks up the Doctor Doom mantle, but because he can go because what ha- what helps is it's Starlin's character. So up until a certain point in in Marvel history, Thanos more or less didn't pop up that often, and yeah, when he yeah. did, it was usually Starlin who got to handle the character and put the the character through its paces. Yes, and so. A, Thanos was never kind of got to that very overexposed kind of angle, at least until relatively far in that Doom got. So, but also because Starlin was able to t- chart the character's growth, 
Like, the character did... Like, grow and change is sort of overstating it, but there are definitely no, periods I, I, I where don't, he's got I don't an think arc. it is. Yeah. You I know? genuinely don't think it is. I think Starlin's, Starlin is really... Um, proud is maybe not the right word, but determined mm-hmm. to, to show that Thanos does change, and he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he very, very clear. Like, the Infinity Gauntlet is essentially the Thanos change story. Because mm-hmm. he goes from being the nihilist who wants to basically kill half of, you know, is in love with death and, and kill mm-hmm. half of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, to at the end of that, he's like, I don't really see ultimate power anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I had it, and it kind of, it's it's kind of a bitch. Right. Like, I, I, I this is not something that works for me. I, I even, like, he, the Infinity Gauntlet even ends with him basically going, yeah, Adam Warlock's got Infinity, uh, got Ultimate Power now. I, I kind of feel sorry for him. Right. Exactly. And I'm just going to go know? until this stuff on this planet or whatever. And yeah, basically kind of becomes a monk slash farmer type dude, which is great. And it's a great change. And even when he goes back and gets involved in some of the stuff, it's from a different, it's from a different angle than he was previously which is great because when he shows up you know between captain marvel and when when he appears in starlin's warlock prior to the infinity gauntlet he's already changed a little bit you know um and starlin is really fond of basically all the stuff that i love about dr doom i really realize starlin loves that stuff and he puts it into thanos so well there's there's something where i thought you're going to go is have you read the infinity abyss the, the uh, miniseries? No. Um, Starlin, Starlin literally pulls this, the Simons and Doom trick. Mm. Uh, Starlin outright has Thanos say, yeah, there's a bunch of clones, and, and like the, the non-Starlin stories are Thanos clones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that's... Wait, is is Infinity Abyss the first graphic novel? No, no, no. It's it's the it's like a, a 2002 miniseries. Oh, okay. Because he goes back in the first Thanos graphic novel that I can't remember what the hell the name is. Maybe it's the Infinity... It's the... Uh, Revelation? Maybe. The Infinity Revelation, I think. Okay. So Let's see. Uh, beside me. It's the Infinity... Yeah, it's the Infinity Revelation, the Infinity Relativity, and the Infinity Finale. Okay. So, yeah, the Infinity Revelation is very much him setting... It's It's actually a more generous way of, like here's how I'm going to change Thanos so that you can have the Thanos that pops up in Jonathan Hickman's infinity. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it starts one way and it moves to another way. And it was, I thought it was actually really sort of gracefully done and surprisingly generously done, even though it is, it's, it's so weird because the character's so tied to Starlin. It sort of seems almost like a little bit of, um, hubristic largesse. To, to be like, here's how I create it so that you may have your version of Thanos while I still get my version of Thanos. But that's kind of how Marvel Comics used to work for such a long period of time, you know? If a character mm-hmm. was, like, crazily out of character, like, you sort of expected an explanation sort of... Well, no, exactly. Lot, like, right? you, you... And you got... But you got, like, you know, even before Simonson, you got the, that wasn't the real Doctor Doom, that was the Doombot. Right. And, and no one blinked. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't have people going, well, that's just hubristic largesse. You were like, people were just like, sure, it's a Doombot. Yeah. Right. And that was, that was just the thing. Yep. So I, I, I've actually, I think it's it's kind of, 
cute so it sounds wrong but like i'm totally on board with sterling going yeah they were all clones and in fact the infinity abyss the plot is the villains of the story are thanos clones that he cross-pollinated with dna from other marvel comics characters but they were all made when he was a nihilist so basically you've got like the avengers of thanos who are still nihilists being like okay we've got to kill everyone and he's like no i've moved past that you guys and i guess i have to stop you right which is great which is great like starlin really just by making that little change he's able to do a lot of the like oh yeah now like uh he, he can he can generate a lot of story opportunities for it by basically kind of taking this character seriously and continuing to sort of change him or to have things that he wants to say. Again, the other thing about Infinity Revelation that's been a while since I've read it, but is really interesting is it's very much about um, it's it's very much it's in a way it's to me kind of a contrast to an element in Kirby's Hunger Dogs, you know, because the Hunger Dogs for Kirby deals very explicitly with the idea of bringing these characters back to life and and base and acknowledging that it doesn't work, you know. Yes. You yeah. Know? And similarly uh in in Infinity Revelation um the process of living of these characters of him and Warlock living forever ends up warping who they are so dramatically. Mm-hmm. That he, you know, that Thanos in story, I think, has to address it, you know, ad- it, like change the characters in order to in order to keep them from destroying the universe. But it's very much this idea of like, you know, if you take a character and you play it out, it, and it, it, someone who's not allowed to die eventually stops changing, and at a certain point, once they stop changing, they more or less begin to sort of rot. And it's, yes, they, they, yeah, they might as well be dead. Yeah, and 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 it is interesting because it's it's very much Starlin talking about the same way Kirby was was talking about these licensed characters about you know work for higher properties that will never go away and how they become inevitably perverted. You know, mm-hmm. um, well, and it's I, I would argue that, that uh, Starlin was getting around to those themes actually far earlier mm-hmm. i think there's there's if you not only are we talking about like thanos changing but if you look at starland's writing of warlock yes in the 90s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think he's really doing the same thing there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it, it's where he he is talking about how characters need to change mm-hmm. and and the change is um, change is a necessity, mm-hmm. and the people who do not change or who fight against the change, right? Who fight who against risk, change? Exactly. Risk becoming mm-hmm. uh, lifeless, right? Yeah, you know, um, it's it's there. There really was like much more there than I'd seen before, or I don't know. I was in the right frame of mind, or whatever. <laughs> but but. No, really, like, I got so much more out of this reading. That, which Thrones. delights me. That this I, surprises that I have me ever, and delights me. ever gotten before. Wow. Like, wow. significantly. And it honestly started as, I'm bored of Marvel Unlimited. Right. You know, which is, you know, 
an argument for Marvel Limited to exist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of stunned how much Marvel Unlimited can work as, I mean, within these very narrow parameters, it's it's kind of an amazing research tool. You know, it's... it's... Marvel Unlimited makes my job genuinely so much easier. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you, when when Marvel shut it down, because let's face it, they're going to shut it down at some point, I will be heartbroken. I think it's going to be a while off, you know, because... And and maybe I'm wrong because I remember this being a discussion talking point for us maybe around the the uh, the end of the year where you were kind of like yeah I don't I don't think Marvel Unlimited is going to be around for another year and uh, uh, maybe it was right after the first because I had talked about the fact that um, I had wanted to give my brothers renew their gift sub- subscriptions that I'd gotten for them as as Christmas presents. And in the past, because as a guy who's handed out a bunch of these before, there was always some online link that was like, sign up for, you know, give give the gift of Marvel Unlimited, you know. And there were all these like, you know, join now for, you know, the 49 cents for the first month to celebrate Star Wars month and you'll get access to 9 million Star Wars graphic novels or whatever. <laughs> and there was just nothing. There was no presence. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I you know, at that point, I was like, "Well, this is probably this is probably an ev- inevitable that they're going to pull the plug on this." Um, and then, in in the wake of uh, Infinity War coming out, I, I'm sh- I'm sure you know, but they've done this thing that is um, kind of a charming, for lack of a term, parasitic mind killer. Uh, which is they've taken the App Store, Apple's taken the App Store for the iPhone, and they have sort of a front page which has, like, interviews with app makers and, like, tips. Oh, no. Ultimate. Yeah, I mean, it's completely oh, no. creepy branding. I'm shocked you haven't n- known about it. But so, no. it, and part of me is like, like, you know, I... I I, I'm like, God, I can't even imagine what it's like to be able to... Because it, it seems easy as hell. You just crank out, like, copy, you know, relatively limited that talks about, like, you know, parts of parts and pieces of it are how to use uh, Apple's built-in apps better. But there's also times where it's like, you know, they're somehow writing a puff piece about why this game is, like, the best thing since sliced bread, you know, and wow, huh, they've mentioned it like three times in the last two weeks. You know, you really catch this idea of like, this stuff is, there's got to be some pay-per-play component to it. I mean, it could well be that there's an editorial team sitting there being like, hmm, all right, uh, you know what, people, this is the month that people want to know about fin- finance uh, stories, which admittedly, they, they, around tax time, you know, they're like, here's a bunch of like apps that you can download for your taxes and blah, blah, blah. Sure. So anyway, all of which is to say, around the opening of Infinity War, and I don't remember the other one, there was another one relatively recent, oh, maybe it was Black Panther, where it's like one of the featured stories was like, here's all the comics that you should, you know, the comics that you should read for Avengers Infinity War. And it literally walks through a bunch of storylines and then is just a connection to Marvel Unlimited, you know? So Which can, is super smart. Yeah, it's it is. It's super smart, and it's it it makes a lot of sense. It's a it's a good idea, but also part of me is like, I don't know if Marvel would 
like because I'm sort of again it's something that like it's it's one thing when it's something like Marvel's Future Fight or Contest of Champions or things where it's making money on the in-app scale. And you know what, Graham? This is actually one of the things that I was wondering. Uh, what if Marvel Unlimited basically is being thrown under, like, video game revenue? You know what I mean? Like, they're using it to sort of shoulder up their electronics profits or something like that? Uh, no, Marvel Limbs is almost certainly under Marvel New Media. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I mean... Uh, yeah. I, but, you know, maybe video games is too? Right. Yeah. yeah. Who who can fucking tell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got to admit, I also don't know. So, anyway, but I did have that moment of like, oh, what if that's folded under video games and we're sort of chasing up the wrong tree? Because, in a way, the video game things has different expectations for money but also a lot of um like the marvel unlimited the overhead for marvel unlimited to continue to operate is probably far less uh than the amount of overhead that they're pitching in to make sure that future fight has new content loaded up all the time so really i'm maybe I mean, I, I I'm just wondering how much it costs to digitize the old comics. Well, but see, that's it. the The cost for digitizing the old comics is folded in under the publication costs because they're not they're not digitizing anything that isn't being recolored or released for omnibuses. Oh, but no, editions. but they are. They are. Ooh, well, some of them are. But like, I, 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 like it's it might take a while for the trade editions to come out, but and they're planned. But there's definitely stuff on Unlimited that isn't scheduled. Well, that's and that that is like old material. Yeah. Uh, especially because they seem to be getting particularly interested in f- completing runs of titles now. Well, yeah, there's stuff that they're filling in finally, thank goodness. But, but so I mean, there is that. There is sort of larger individual mandates for some conversions, but there's also a lot of stuff that's kind of, you know. You know, the old joke was whatever I managed to buy digitally, you all could look forward to seeing on Unlimited in, you know. In like two weeks. Yeah, yeah two weeks. So uh, so I don't know. You know, I'm sort of I, – I, but so, so – the, but the digitizing – to pay someone to digitize a comic and upload that stuff, I mean the bigger parts are the pieces of, you know, whoever's, you know, picking the people to like – give their list of stuff on Marvel Unlimited, you know, or mm-hmm. tying it in to the podcast or the other, whatever that other media branch and promotion branch that you're aware of. Uh, you know, I, that's still so much less than than what it's going to take to, to create a bunch of people to, you know, put together, like, back when the Doctor Strange movie came out, it was like the Doctor Strange quest, and then there was, like eight different characters and admittedly a lot of them at that point for something like that are probably just reskins or things but it's still uh it's it's still work like it's still still a lot of work yeah exactly and i mean on the other hand the you know if you manage to get the players like successfully you know uh, obsessed with you know succeeding no matter what and dropping currency into it, it it can it can make them a lot of money, but it 
but it does yeah, exactly. cost, I think. So I, I yeah, I, I I do not know. I will say this, um and it ties into the Baxter building as well. One of the other things I read, Jeff, on Marvel Limited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff, I have a, a shameful admission to tell you. Oh, this is amazing. Sh- shameful. You remember at the end of the last Baxter building, we were talking about the uh, Falcon Ryan run. Oh, no. And I said that we shouldn't do 20 issues in a row because we don't even want to read two issues in a row. Right. You read the whole row. You read the whole run. I read like 30 issues this morning. Oh, my God. Graham, what are you <laughs> doing? Jeff, uh... again, I kind of like, enjoyed it. <laughs> And what and what's I'm obviously we're going to do this in Baxter Building, so I won't say too much now. But um, you know I like DeFalco and Ron Friends's Thor. Yes, and I've actually been reading a lot of that recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that it becomes very obvious that Friends is playing a large part in plotting. Mm-hmm. A large part in plotting. It's the point where there's uh, backup stories in, I want to say, Thor 400 or something, that are credited in terms of writing to Friends and to Falco, mm. even, though, even though he's not drawing. Hmm. Wow. Um, so Friends is, is clearly like a, a very big part of plotting. And in Fantastic Four, Ryan is credited all throughout the run as co-plotter. Hmm. So clearly DeFalco is leaving a lot to his artists. Right. And f- what really got me in besides like morbid curiosity was i wonder basically how much defalco's love of stan lee in particular mm-hmm. but lee be as well is going to influence the writing of this versus like whatever ryan's bringing to the table right uh, to begin with it's like defalco is full on lee mm-hmm. like he Handling Lee like his life fucking depends on it, <laughs> and it's it's very enjoyable, almost as prestige. Right, and you get into it because like just shit is happening, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna keep reading. Why not? Uh, and again, we'll talk about this more on Baxter Building when we're reading from the Baxter Building. But very quickly, the Defalco Ryan run. A, everything is a cliffhanger. Every issue is a cliffhanger. But it gets away from, like, the next issue plot title. Instead, it's just to be continued. Right. It literally, every issue just ends with to be continued. That's wow. it. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it, again, very easy to binge. Right. But you also, when you read them, like, when you read 13 in a row, you also, like, realize, like, oh, this is where it gets bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes its own, like, binge joy. <laughs> Because you're, because like you're you're literally like you're steering into the car crash. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I read I read a chunk of them. The reason I'm telling you all this now is there's literally an issue midway through this where they clearly didn't have the original anything to work with, and I, I swear to God, Jeff, it's a fucking scan of the comic. Wow. Barely cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And it's such a surprise. Because, like, Marvel Limited is clean scans. Mm-hmm. Like, recolored art clean scans. Right. And you get this thing, you're like, this is fucking... Someone just had the comic and they fucking scanned it in. Right. Like and they... maybe they upbrighten this contrast and that's it. <laughs> wow. That is And it's, it's amazing. 
And it's just one issue. Like I was like, I wonder if this means they have no art from from now on. No, the next issue's back to normal. Wow, it's so weird. Huh, huh. That is that is that is only strange with with Marvel Unlimited, where you run across those crazy anomalies, right? Um, I have to say, and this is this is funny because I feel like this is the sex, second wait what where we've been like Baxter building supplemental, but. Um, I read comics during my hell week on the flight out and the flight back. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up reading on the flight back, I mean, because as, again, as, as a veteran of the Amazon Marvel insane digital pricing wars or whatever it was, I bought I bought a shit ton of stuff. There was stuff where I was like, sure. I, I remember. You know, it was like, sure. I mean, because it's ninety nine cents. Why like, not? Like, you really are like cents. Yeah, at eighty five right? cents. And you're, and you're like, mm-hmm. you're like, you know, I can get five comics for the price of a coffee. Yeah, right, right. So, I bought I bought like a trade that they had of the Wade and Waringo FF. Okay. It was like volume four or something, like which was crazy because I didn't really realize the run had gone that wrong, it, that long. It's the it's the last volume of of their run, and uh, I gotta say I was like, it's pretty good. I get why people are fond of this. Like it's a that that's really interesting because the last bags are building. You know, you basically were like, I'm not even sure I like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Right, exactly. I was like, I don't think that I do like the Fantastic Four. And what I thought was interesting was it was like Wade and Waringo, but it's but actually especially Wade. There's ways in which his it may help that what he likes to do really matches what I don't what I feel the FF misses so much, which is he wants to make it a book about characters. The thing that's also interesting is, is I would say that Wade's take on the characters is uh, recognizably them, but also very Wade. You know what I mean? So I think so. His his Reed character is is you know super smart um, and given to the occasional wisecrack um, and is relatively com- there's not the Reed, Reed, Reed Richards is a dick but there's also yeah. kind of not the Reed Richards is the ubermensch concept either right mm-hmm. he actually mm-hmm. what I think is interesting and I'm sure the issues would line up is is I think that that a movie like Pixar's The Incredibles uh, and I, maybe the time change time frame doesn't work on this really clarifies like Wade is doing a superhero family book and he's doing it he's his take on his characters very much all emanates a, a lot from that like he has he has episodes where the character issues where the characters switch powers you know he's got a frightful four story that he and Carl Kessel co-write in which he re- and the other thing is, is because Wade has done is Mr. like oh I knew Clark Kent's social security number like he's done a lot of the right, the reading and interestingly enough in the back of the trade he talks about how Carl Kessel is a huge FF fan so 
uh, Kessel's the guy who's like, I, we should do a Frightful Four story, but have the Frightful Four be more of a family so that they can be a contrast because they're always supposed to be this dark mirror to the Fantastic Four. And so it's there. It's kind of like that sort of... I guess what's nice is, you know, there's so many Fantastic Four stories where, like like I said, like the Simonson stuff where I'm like, I feel like he kind of doesn't care about the Fantastic Four. Or Burns stuff where it's like, he cares a little too much about the Fantastic Four and he's not really interested in being entertaining. You know, and Wade is very much, uh, we're going to tell entertaining FF stories and, you know, Johnny Storm is going to be a lot closer to... to Bart Allen or Wally West than he's going to be to our original conception of you know the the hot-headed Johnny Storm but it but it's all going to work like it works surprisingly well I was like there's nothing super great here there's actually a whole there's there's a story it was great there was a story that opens up where there's this huge ginormous space threat that's um threatening um New York, and I'm like, oh my god, this reads like, this is the classic, like, the 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 trope of the world's going crazy and then Galactus shows up. And it turns out to be this alien threat, but of course the alien threat is actually doing it because of Galactus. And mm-hmm. then, just when things get resolved, then Galactus shows up, after like three issues, and then it goes into a Galactus story. And there's ways in which it was very much... Uh, it was just enjoyable. I was just reading it. I'm like, these are enjoyable comics. Like, I, yeah. I'm yeah. enjoying reading about it. Like, I don't even know if there were specific subplots. It was just... I like that you were surprised by this. I, I'm, I, I know. I'm kind of surprised that I'm surprised as well. Well, you know what? Because I read... I read what must have been end up being. The sure, first. you're like I've read so many Fantastic Four comics, I don't like them anymore. And you're like, oh wait, I do. I just don't like like having to read the bad ones. Well, I think that might be it. But again, there's that thing of we were reading stuff that weren't that wasn't necessarily bad FF comics, you know. And how do I put it? Like these these the thing is is because there's so many bad. FF comics, kind of like as we discussed at one one point, the idea that they're actually a much harder thing to put together than than you would think, especially if you're just not going to be doing flat out pastiche, is that uh, is is that they were just by by nature being solid entertaining comics. The way Ringo stuff in this volume really did charm the shit out of me, and I started out reading the Wade Waringo stuff, and I think I I bailed right after. You know, they rescue Ben Grimm from heaven with the help of, you know, spoilers, Jack Kirby, you know, and it's just I at that point, I was like, this is not for me. And it and what was interesting is sort of like the thing with Starlin Thanos is rereading it now. I was like, I don't think this is totally for me. (laughs) Well, yeah, sort of this idea of like, I think I've changed. I don't think these stories have changed, like because I walked away from the FF stuff being kind of like. But, you know, being like, you know, Wade's Wade being a guy who likes to refer to himself as a science based writer who has like 
a very skimpy knowledge of science, I think. You know, it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And there was a bunch of stuff in those first issues that were just, it was just mockish. It was a little too meh. And they had, they his take on Doctor Doom, I thought was eh. And so it just kind of kept going like that. So I literally didn't pay attention to the rest of the run. And coming back to the end of the run now, all the years after it was originally published, and being like, these are these are these are solid stories. They're n- they're not exciting, but they are enjoyable comfort food, in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what is also great is it is kind of what I was saying. I do I care. I think I care about characters in a story, and so the sometimes the whole comic, you know, zippity blue. We're looking at like the Cross Time Express. Get aboard the. You know, all aboard the Express Kundalini, Simonson style. Yeah, you know, I'm jazz well, hands. I just haven't like this... it's not nailed down. Yes, I'm wondering how much because one of the things I was thinking about in like, why am I liking these Starlin books in a way I didn't before? Mm-hmm. Is I know the characters more now. Mm-hmm. The difference between the me that read these books when I first read them mm-hmm. and the me I am now is I've read like more warlock comics mm-hmm. i read more thanos comics um the more i read like if i hadn't read you know infinity gauntlet infinity war infinity crusade would infinity abyss or marvel the end have hit in the same way probably not right and i'm wondering if the same is true for your fantastic four experience like it's not just that you know again are you grading on a curve because we've read so many Fat Fantastic Four comics? You're like, these are these are enjoyable, therefore they're great. Yeah. Or is it literally you have read so many comics featuring these characters that you have more of an empathy with these characters? It's interesting. It could be I kind of I kind Yeah, well, you you wanna say no. I, I wanna say no, because I mean I read a lot of FF when I was a kid. You know, in in that weird way of trying to think about, like, was I a fan? And it was very much that idea of, like, I think for a lot of kids, I was like, I was a big fan of Ben Grimm. Like, I don't know if the other characters yeah. really resonated in a way that were other than they were enjoyable. But, I mean, I was emotionally invested in Ben, and I think that's really all you need, right? Just, like, the people who really connected with Wolverine the next generation over, and suddenly it's like... They're following the character everywhere, you know. Well, no, and I and I think I'd love to see if there, honestly, if there are any Fantastic Four fans who are not fans of Ben. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, I mean, maybe people came in in the burn run when he wasn't in the book, but but is anyone really like? I love the Fantastic Four because Reed Richards is fucking great. I think you know, there or, are. Or, I felt like there were. Really? Yeah, I felt like John Byrne was one of those guys who thought that... <laughs> and I'm serious. I think that he was like, yeah. In fact, he kind of... I felt like his whole thing... You know, there's that John Byrne joke of, like, the Ben Grimm's dialogue is impossible to parody, you know? And I, and I kind of... I do kind of get it, because I honestly, through the years that we were reading uh, Baxter Building, I'm like... It wasn't that I didn't care about him, but I did find myself being like, oh, this character is, like, really incomplete. Like, Ben is, 
is when you read all those issues of FF at a go, like, there's a lot of, you know, the reader doing the heavy lifting of kind of filling in the scenes and making the character... I mean, the best thing about the character is is that he's not consistent in a way, and then at a certain point he becomes consistent, and then, frankly, the Lee Kirby stuff, by the time it's done, I was, you know... By the time Lee and Kirby are done, I'm sick of Ben's whining about wanting to be a guy, be a man again, and why can't, you know, he's just doomed to be a thing, you know, which is something that everyone then proceeds to to hammer at, you know, for hundreds of issues until Byrne steps in, tries to do something different with it, and then, bless him, Englehart tries to do something different with that, and then Simonson's kind of like, yeah, just sort of, uh, just sort of move this piece over here, and boom, he's the thing again. Hooray! You know, (laughs) but but I kind of had that weird moment of like, going through the Baxter building where I'm not a fan of Ben, and there was really nobody to really kind of anchor yourself. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't like anyone in this book. You know, it went through a period where it's like, I, I, I usually ended up liking the replacement characters when the main characters left the book. It was like... Well, that, that's... that's I, You know, we really should stop talking about Fantastic yeah, Four again. Jesus, I know. Not, it's, it's ridiculous. But, um, but that's one of the interesting things about Fantastic Four as a book. Mm-hmm. That... It is unlike almost, I think, every other team in Marvel, with maybe the exception of Runaways. Mm-hmm. It's a book where the characters have to be the core characters. Mm-hmm. You can change the Avengers. Like, for all the, oh, you've got to have Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. You don't, though, in the Avengers. You've probably got to have one of them. You know, but you can have a successful Avengers book with none of those characters. Right. Same with X-Men. There's not really any core X-Men, as the fact that, you know... Think of the different X-Men teams we've seen throughout the thing. Yeah. Everyone has like their own favorite lineup of X-Men and you know, good luck finding four that are the same. Right. Um Defenders obviously not. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like Fantastic Four and probably Runaways is it, where you've got to have a particular lineup of characters. Oh, Because prob- yeah. I, I I'm not sure I'm not sure yeah, you've got to have three of the four, basically, I think. Right. That's uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um but when you uh, – there are points where – and this is also true in Runaways – those characters aren't being done well or interesting. Yes. Right. And what keeps you reading the book is the hope that they will be again. Right. Or your memories of them being good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it, it's it's they're, – they're both books that sort of exist on the goodwill you have for when you like the book more. Yeah, right. Well – for large patches, you know, or or even well, Runaways is a little bit different, but I'm fascinated by, and like you said, we do need to change the subject. But by the time we get to the end of the Baxter building, we'll have read the first volume of the FF, 416 issues, and it's interesting to me how much of that is bad. Well, how much? Yeah, how much of it is bad, but also kind of that thing of there's a way in which I think comic book magic kind of does work by being incomplete. You know, either there's the next issue that's going to take things in a different direction or change things, or it's really just that idea of for a long time there were very few people who had read all 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, right? 
I don't think that there were a lot of people who had done that. I I wouldn't recommend it, but you can do it. But interestingly enough, I feel like if you don't read all the issues of something, there's still a little bit of the, you know, that weird thing of maybe the reason why serialized superhero um, comics have dominated comics as a medium in um, North America for so long is kind of that idea of sort of the same way that the miracle of comics is what happens in the gutters that you don't see that makes the magic, that it's the it's the one issue that you don't have that still gives the characters that mystique. You kind of have to give them that benefit of the doubt until you stop, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. them seem richer and more complete and having had amazing emotional arcs, you know, and then because you, once you sit down and you read all 416 issues, it's like, boy, people really liked this man, this monster a lot, you know, or whatever it ends up happening to be. So anyway, so yeah, but that's something that we're going to have to, we're going to have to stop talking about the FF during wait, what though? Cause it is, I'm fascinated that we both did it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, it, it's converging. It's converging, Jeff. I, it's to- <laughs> totally my fault this time. I'm the one who brought it up because I was talking about Marvel Unlimited and and thing. Uh, but it's that. I mean, I could I could talk about other things I've read. But I, I'm curious. What 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 are we going to talk about? That's not fantastic. For I'm curious. What was the other thing you read? What what else did you read when you were gone? Uh, what what else did I read while I was gone? I read a lot of uh, that Master of Kung Fu Epic Collection. Um, like I am, I'm just about at the end, like it's, it's 474 pages, the, the master Kung Fu epic collection. And I think I was probably about maybe, I don't know, maybe a hundred pages in when I, I picked it up. So I was, I was mainlining a lot. Let's see if I can figure this out here. Um, if you could just, um, was, was this, uh, like, did you only, I guess, did you only read it on the plane, or was this decompression reading? Like when you're, you're yeah, not. Yeah, no, I had I had no decompression. Anything that wasn't literally like sobbing into a pillow, you know, or like talking to my wife. So, which doesn't sound say it say it sound it sounds a, a little uh, lachrymose. But no, this was this was all on the plane. Like I think I read a few issues past before I left. Like. Um, Made it through, yeah, I think, you know where it was? I picked up at Giant Size Master of Kung Fu number two, which happens about, oh no, we discussed that one, so maybe it was issue three. Um, and it was, it, it's just fabulous. Basically what happened is Galassi pops up, you know, I ranted about him before, and there were just, then there was a couple of um, uh, Ron Wilson issues. There's an amazing issue that like, Starts off with Al Milgram, and it's being inked by Klaus Janssen, like early Klaus Janssen. Wow. Yeah, it's. And how, how much does early Klaus Janssen look like Klaus Janssen? Not the not very much at all. The way that we've come to think of Klaus Janssen, like I, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's a lot of um. Like if if you remember, Janssen would be the sort of guy who who managed to um. 
starts he starts off as an inker that tries to stay sort of hands off i guess as a uh as an inker goes but but in his early work but you would see every once in a while like he would put a lot of work into people's faces and unsurprisingly shadow as you know like the sh- the shadow on someone's face was like a big thing for Jansen and still stays that way like that um but you know as as Jansen grows of course he gets he becomes a master of using the way that he he spots the blacks to help yeah. lead you through the page and things doesn't that that shows up less he he's clear he loves the the blacks but he doesn't quite put them together in the same way but there's a couple of pages where you look at people's faces and you're like oh jesus and it's very much like oh that's that's definitely a claus jansen inked face you know and then the next issue is this insane free-for-all like it's a two-part it's a two-part issue the the thing where it's like um milgram and jansen and and where it's it's you know I'll get to the, the plot, the story in a, in a moment such that it's needed. But the next issue is Milgram, Starlin, Weiss, and Simonson as the pencilers and Sal Trapani as the, as the inker. So, you know, those guys were all working in the same studio. So it's amazing looking at stuff being like, I think that's Simonson. Like, I think Simonson. But they were so clearly trying to beat the deadline that it, it got to points where it was like, um, you know, who can even tell? Yeah. Like Simonson might've just drew, th- drew the guns on that page, you know, like the, the guns look pretty decent, you know, it's, it's, it's rare. Or there's a, there's the very last page of the story, probably because the plotting has gone to hell, but it is, it's, it's a 12 panel page. Like it's, Holy crap. yeah, that's not, well, that's not a sign that things have turned out well, but, but the way that it's laid out, you almost don't notice it other than the fact that it, it's tries to get everything an urgency, but it also has a little bit of the, yeah, I kind of think that Simonson did that, you know, but then the very next issue, which is almost feels like a, a, a fill in issue, which is by Galassi, um, it's just it's just a it's just a million times better like i just bless those bless our perhaps unsurprisingly it's like you won't believe this Graham, but paul galacy after giving four months to pencil an issue can totally put things together in a way that like four guys desperately working all night <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah paul, paul galacy in four months can do a better job than you know 12 people given 12 hours yeah that giant size master of kung fu issue three is Paul Galassi, and it's inked by Vince Coletta. And the thing that's crazy, that, you, I could weirdly see that working. It does. It works pretty well. It works pretty goddamn well because because the stuff that the stuff they it's almost like they don't care about the same things, you know. Oh, they they one hundred percent do, but that could really work. Well, yeah. It it kind of does because the other part of it is, is because they kind of don't care about the same things. Um, Coletta doesn't end up being so strapped for time that he wipes out what Galacy's doing and the detailed stuff either. So it, yeah, it's kind of shot. I mean, it ends up being like a little flat and in places, and the colorist has to do things, but 
No, a Galaxy comic is flat. <laughs> but Galaxy's wonderful, man. I have to say, there's so much stuff in this that is just beautiful. I remembered how much I liked Master of Kung Fu, uh, Giant Size Master of Kung Fu Three, and that's the other thing is apparently the book was so successful. Like Galaxy's doing the giant size issues of Master of Kung Fu, so you're getting all kinds of dudes like. Um, Jesus, issue 20-something or other, what am I looking at? Issue 20, not 26, is like Keith Pollard. And again, Sal Trapani, they're keeping on him, I guess, to give it some sort of consistency that the book doesn't have. Very next issue, John Basima, inked by Frank Springer. Like, you just have no <laughs> idea who's going to show up on any given issue on this fucking book. Like, they just don't know. Then issue 28 is Ron Wilson, Ed Hannigan, Aubrey Bradford. I as pencilers. You, does, Aubrey Bradford? Does that ring a bell to you? I've never... Not in the slightest. Yeah, right? So I don't know if it's a pseudonym or... But again, it's three pencilers to get a comic out. And the thing that's fascinating is is how much every issue of Master of Kung Fu is more or less the same. Like, I wonder if part of the reason why I enjoy it is it's, you know, Doug Munch um, riffing on type of endless fight scenes that I mean they just go on and there's so many like the book is so formulaic like this is issue 26 it's technically only been around for 10 issues and a bunch of uh, and and you know three giant size issues and it's so boiled down to this formula of you know Shang-Chi wandering through whatever the location is pondering whatever the philosophical dilly-dally that, that Mensch wants to bring up. And then all of a sudden, it's shocking the number of times that, that Blackjack Tar and uh, Sir Dennis uh, Nayland are, are able to pull up and be like, um, you know, Shang, quick, jump into the car. Like, we found out new... We need you now because Fu Manchu's hat, hatched another nefarious plot. Like, there's one issue where they find him inside an ar a penny arcade on Times Square. And I'm like, how did you find him? It's Times Square in 1974. They don't, they don't even bother to explain <laughs> it. Like, at a certain point, they just give it up. But then they go and they're like, oh, and you've got to find, like, Fu Manchu's got a new plan, That blah, blah, blah. And then they all go as a group, and then Shang-Chi splits and disappears, and everyone's like, what? He's disappeared like the wind! Where'd that Chinaman go? You know, and then... The next scene is, you know, Shang-Chi sneaking into something, uncovering Fu Manchu's base, and then just beating the shit out of people. And it's like the only variation is sometimes before Dennis, Sir Dennis, and um, Clive Reston and Blackjack find Shang-Chi, sometimes the assassins find him first. And so there's a big fight scene in like a Chinese restaurant or at a baseball game or like a something, you know? And. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's like really repetitive formulaic comics. And so perhaps unsurprisingly, considering how stressed out I was, I found them intensely comforting. You know? Right. It's, it, it's weirdly therapeutic. It is strange that when you get overwhelmed sometimes, that like comics that I don't want to say like bypass the critical faculties, mm -hmm. but, but comics that don't necessarily engage your critical faculties. Are, are can be amazingly comforting. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's basically these 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 first 
dozen issues until you get Galassi break out some crazy ass shit. Like he does some wonderfully over the top and crazily ambitious storytelling, but but somehow that only because it's also somehow predictable. Like, I mean, these are basically the ASMR videos of seventies comic books. You know what I mean? Like this is just this is just like watching somebody like brush their hair for like 45 minutes you know what I mean like it is that weird like yeah it's it's soothing but but something about the the formula of it is like yes this is exactly what I needed this is intensely deeply comforting you know and it's also really funny because depending on how you want to look at it um I think that the weird thing about Master of Kung Fu is is that you can have such a formulaic experience up top because underneath it's such a goddamn seething mess, right? Like, it's totally... It's like white guys trying to write about Asian guys basically having almost no knowledge of it, using as a template like Sax Romer's incredibly racist Fu Manchu stuff, and it's still based off the David Carradine Kung Fu stuff, so there's, it's, you know, it just is filled with, like, weird, violent, racist, derogatory terms that at the same time are meant to establish who the bad guy is, and, you know, the bad white guys, as opposed to the other guys that are totally, absolutely, 125% the icons of white colonialism, like... So underneath, it just feels like such a broilingly uh, um, conflicted view of the world that is trying to operate, you know, that's operating through the most comforting levels of pulp pastiche on the top level. It's kind of fascinating. In sort of in the exact same way to the but completely, utterly different end that that Venom trailer had, you know? Like, I want... Okay, unpick that, Jeff. Uh, For myself, the way that I chose to unpack that is the Venom trailer, uh, which everybody was talking about, and I was like, oh, man, you know, I had said that I was like, I like Tom Hardy, I like Michelle Williams, I like San Francisco, I cannot imagine how the Venom movie will not just be like a huge bucket of suck. And watching that trailer, I'm like, wow, it may be an even bigger bucket of suck than I would have thought. It's astoundingly bad. But I want to see it, Graham. I totally want to see it. Why? Well, well, I'll get to that. But first, let me talk about the comparison with the Master of Kung Fu. Is, again, that very short um, trailer has a completely different reaction for me for me than it would have for a lot of people because um people outside of san francisco you're probably aware of this but uh everyone has gotten a lot of focus on the millennium tower uh which is this tower that was built to be a mega superstructure that rich people paid a lot of money to live in and it's so huge that literally it is now sinking into the ground. Like it's tilting at an angle. People's stuff are getting seriously fucked up and people love it in a, Oh, ha ha ha. Like here's a story about, you know, the fallibility of the, the, you know, the rich or whatever. But San Francisco has been undergoing this, this crazy mutation 
into, for lack of a better term, a, a super city. And um, nothing embodies that more than all of these like super skyscrapers that are uh, uh, have been erected pretty much south of market um, near the water and nothing more so than the Salesforce Tower, which was this enormous tower that has been under construction for it feels like a decade and was probably only like five to seven years, but is open and has completely changed the skyline. It is so far and away massive that you see it from just about any point in the city. And I hate it. I hate it. So when you watch the Venom trailer, because it's all this stuff sewn together uh, at, at a time, there's a lot of expositioning that's happening. And around the time that, that Jenny Slate's character is telling Tom Hardy's character about um, the symbiotes, uh, did she say symbiote or does she say symbiote? I don't care. She says symbiote, and the internet was like, she's like, there's actually a story on CBR saying she's saying the word wrong. Right, which is I even said in the middle of it, you can actually say it both ways, but people who watch the cartoon know that that's not the way to say it. And I was like, motherfucker! Yeah, exactly. Shut the fuck up! Yeah. You actually got paid for this article. So I actually did want to. Well, it's CBR, so you know. So the symbiote. I want to say it in solidarity is the way is the way she does. So she's talking about the symbiotes, and one of the things that they're talking about is the idea that um, uh, essentially it's human and these alien organisms that they the hum, the humans have to the idea is to force them to bond together because they'll be the key to humans' survival. And oh my god, you're like it's like the tech industry it trying is like to the work tech its way. Like... Well, see, that's it. It's like what San Francisco's become. San Francisco has become a weird, perverse symbiote. Like, it's not, you know, it was, San Francisco was a fucked up, fuck-off city for, for fuck-ups, you know, for such a long time. It was like dudes on piers. Like, it was, it was enormous amounts of blue-collar jobs and cheap rent until, like, a lot of the blue-collar jobs started going away, and then it was just cheap rent. And then the tech industry starts up, but then it keeps accelerating. So I guess what I'm going to say is is the thing that I am fascinated by about the Venom trailer is how much, if you are looking at it the right way, and believe me, I, I technically should be saying if you're high and watching it, but I watched this when I wasn't high and came to the same conclusion it is this crazy parable. Wait, wait, wait. But were you high the first time you watched it? No, I was not. I wasn't. Okay. I, I, I know. I was going to say, like, if you watched it high, I came to this conclusion and then watched it not high and were like, no, I was right. That doesn't count. No, no, no. I agree. Okay. I, I absolutely agree. That's not the same thing. I was not high when I watched it. And I was like, this thing is a perfect, to me, it is absolutely a vivid st story about how a blue-collar town, Eddie Brock, who's talking like a Brooklyn mook. I don't know if mook is the right term because actually no one will ever explain to me what mook means and maybe it's racist and loaded and it's not good. But basically talking like a, a Brooklyn schmo who kind of talks like this. I don't understand. I'm the world's toughest reporter. You better look out for me because I'm looking out for you. You know, kind of guy. Suddenly is transformed into, you know, basically a weirdo-ass action hero, um, which is... 
this transmogrification that ma- matches with San Francisco being changed from like a town that I recognize to literally the site of the skyline with the sky- with the Salesforce Tower from an angle that if it wasn't for that ugly ass building, I wouldn't have recognized the skyline like at all, which scared the hell out of me. Um the whole idea of the symbiote being this thing of like, yeah, you've got to bond with it to survive is San Francisco and the tech city, but also people's relation to the urban environment. Like there's more people moving to the cities now in America than ever before. All of the cities are ex- are experiencing these crazy amounts of rapid growth, and it, which, as you know, is like crazy through through the roof housing prices and things like that because cities themselves are becoming one of the few areas of sources of jobs and income and employment and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so basically, I guess what I'm going to say is, is that the, the idea of a, an anti-hero based on a shitty Spider-Man comic that got divorced from the Spider-Man mythos um, but still has to somehow be understandable is for me becoming more understandable as a weird parable about the costs of hypercapitalism is kind of weird. But I, I swear to God, I've watched the trailer since and I'm like, yeah, there's no way that the movie's going to be about that. But the trailer is going to say, about you will that, be very, it, very disappointed yeah, if that's what you think. <laughs> but, but, the, but watching the trailer every time, I'm like, it all maps. And of course, unfortunately, like Master of Kung Fu, there's weird shit that makes no sense. You know, it's very much the idea of, uh, basically, the idea is like, oh look, the hero, the villain is a brown dude. Yeah, that's convenient. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a lot of like, the anti-hero is an anti-hero, but he can be trusted because he's a white guy. And there's kind of those weird things of like, he stands up for. There's this weird switcheroo where like. Um, movies more often than not do this thing where like the blue collar white guy uh, represents sort of an inherent virtuousness I suppose by dint mm-hmm. of of being those things and being the recipient of quote unquote traditional mm-hmm. values and it's, yes. and it's always like ugh. like um, bef- I think I, I, this was actually the other thing I want, kind of wanted to talk about in a way if we didn't have more comics to talk about was Edie and I have been watching the um, it's so hard not to say it um, incorrectly because we call them the Harvey Porter movies so we're we're like we have just Wait, the last the, two the Harvey Porter Harry Potter the oh. Harvey Porter <laughs> movies yeah right? it's like hey you want to watch that Harvey <laughs> Porter and that you know it's dumb but it never ceases to amuse me and and you know my wife uh, puts up with that as a result I guess but so watching the Harry Potter movies, having never read the books or seen them when they came out, but knowing about the whole hoo-ha has been a really interesting experience. Uh, and and part of what's interesting... Ah, shit, how am I going to connect this? Christ. Because it was this whole other piece that was going on with about... Was it traditional values? Shit. Oh, no, because we were... <laughs> what happened was we were watching the shit and like... Three movies in, I'm like, man, that Alan Rickman, I'm so glad that they cast him, um, you know, as this one character, as Snape, because he's he's fucking, he's just a joy to watch. And we were talking about something, and I was like, yeah, I mean, this is probably, God, it's hard to believe that this, these 
Harvey Porter movies, he's he's better known for these than he is for Die Hard. And and Edie's like, Alan Rickman was in Die Hard? And I was like, What? So of course I make her start I make her watch Die Hard. Like we end up watching Die Hard after watching Wednesday What I Wednesday what I love movies. is I one hundred percent believe that you did make her watch Die Hard. Well yeah, no, I I I mean, she was game. I don't think if she said no and I was like, No, you must like I learned my lesson back during the great Godzilla debacle of like two thousand three, believe me. But I uh but I was very much like We've got to watch these because if you don't realize, he's wonderful in in Die Hard. And you know what? Die Hard is a is a, an incredibly great movie. There's so much stuff in it that's witty and clever, but it's also again like I was like, God, I saw this when it came out. I forgot. Like this movie is it's 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 not accidentally racist. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> It is no, no. It's it is it is one hundred percent nineteen eighties racist. It's yeah, but but the, but the, which is that idea of it's it's it is it is um it's panderingly racist. It literally again this idea like watching Bruce Willis smirk his way through it, and he's great in Die Hard. But there's also moments where I'm just like, oh, this is so. It's so it panders so heavily again to the white blue collar guy who represents traditional values which are on the verge of being lost and at least in Die Hard they sort of make it split the difference because he's too old fashioned you know but of course it's his his old fashioned values that literally save everyone but you know but he's always on the verge of losing his wife to I mean it's a ridiculously racist panoply, even though the Japanese guy has um, uh, dignity, you know, it's like him, uh, you know, a guy doing cocaine that seems uh, kind of Semitic uh, and and Hans Gruber and his international band of not racial stereotypes, but like just just race, just racist villains in the sense of being based on the idea that the race is a huge qualification as of a shorthand for their evilness, which is interesting because you've got like a heroic, you know, the guys that help John McClane out in Die Hard are black. They're both black, but the ways in which they're presented is really probably interesting and disquieting. So, um, and you know, I gotta say, like you said, it was like that's the '80s racism. One of the things that I watch on the flight on the way home because I was like, okay, I'm, you know, essentially, what do I have to live for? Is I started watching The Babysitter. Like, do you, you know what that is, right? Because of course you write media stuff. The but uh, I honestly, The Babysitter, the Netflix movie. Yes, the Netflix the movie McG's by movie? McG. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was like, I will watch a McG movie because. Because God help me, what do I have to live for anymore? And okay, we'll have no. You'll have to explain that for the listeners, though, because gents are they don't know what the babysitter is. Right. Okay. So the babysitter is a direct to Netflix movie by McGee, uh, and it is a horror comedy. I guess is the way of putting it about a a young bullied boy who's more or less afraid of everything, who's um. 
the only person who gets him and and uh, and he has a great bond with is his babysitter, who's sort of this blonde, tough chick in cut-off jeans, take-no-shit kind of chick who's super cool and drives a cool car and is basically like the coolest person, not just in school, but in the world. She's babysitting him. He, in the course of of the night, more or less makes it a point to sneak out to see what she's doing with her friends after dark, and it turns out turns it downstairs, and it looks like a game of spin the bottle, but it is in fact becomes a uh, uh, drastic satanic sacrifice. So it's like it becomes a sort of darkly comic version of of Home Alone, where it's this kid versus a bunch of um, an, uh, annoying high school stereotypes that are the other members of her satanic group and so I guess if you imagine Home Alone meets Heathers but done by people who had sustained like heavy brain damage um, uh, and no I'm not talking about Peter Milligan uh, <laughs> I have to edit that part out <laughs> Oh, oh no! Oh no! Leave that in. Leave, leave that in. Yeah, I know. So everyone know. knows that enough. you made that terrible, terrible unnecessary reference. Well, because I went in, and I was like, "Oh wait, that sounds bad." And I'm like, "Well, the only way out is through at this point." But it's so, and and McGee. I hope people. I don't have to explain McGee, the guy who came to fame for directing Smash Mouth's most famous videos and then made the jump to directing the first two Charlie's Angels movies, one of which I just flat outright unironically love uh, and the other of which is a, a, a ridiculous piece of loathsomeness. And um, and so I was like, ah, Mick G. And I, you know... He is he he is a guy who likes to dumb things down, but in a way that's with a bit of wit, I guess. I don't know if that really makes any sense, but it's it's basically how it works. And so there's scenes in The Babysitter because I like the way the guy he shoots things, I like the way he edits things, and I, I like the way he stages things. It's all it's all really enjoyable. Uh, and the movie is ridiculous and really dumb. And at the end, just, I mean, to say that it falls apart is kind of being too gentle with it. Like, if nothing else, either A, they had, uh, the movie had, like, a different third act finale that they literally threw out, I think, for budgetary reasons. And then we're like... We don't really have the budget to rewrite anything in through it either, so it kind of does. It just doesn't make any literal fucking sense. But also the level to which McGee takes the cartoonishness and ramps it up into genuine cartoonishness, and then is like, "But it's okay. You, you're still going to care about these characters." It's like, why would we even do that, McGee? And yet, all but to say, the thing that I found fascinating is is and. Perhaps it's, while not the best indicator of our times, is the babysitter could all but be made in um, 80s in terms of the it is the way that it treats people of color and the way that it treats women is not too far off from the first Die Hard, you know? Huh. It really is kind of, uh, as far as Hollywood's concerned, it's more or less happy to to keep things at this kind of level forever. Either because it thinks that that's where things are, but you will not find 
a less woke movie than the babysitter like it seems to it and it and what's weird is the the places it doesn't even really seem to um I don't know how to describe it. It's not doing it in that weird, like, way that that conservatives are like to imagine themselves as being transgressive. Now it's just, it's just, it's it's just is what it is, and seems blind to how ugly and and disquieting it is in that sense. But I really was like, you can't treat women and people of color like this in 2018 like it's really not cool you know but there there's this thing of like no but it's totally cool or there's this weird like eh, cool we're like a we're like a movie on netflix we're just trying to get paid you know so i don't know um well i i wonder if that's uh, you know the weird sort of ironic retro cool. Mm-hmm. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like we're we're racist and sexist, like in the eighties. Right. We're like Stranger Things. Right. <laughs> well, but see, I think this is actually. I think Stranger Things is a pretty good example, in a way. Of of, of uh, you know, not doing those things. Right. Of not doing those things. Although, interestingly enough, when the first season of Strange Things gets Stranger Things gets bumped by, you know, the way the way that the female characters are treated in it. Like they were kind of like, oh, oh, that's a problem. Uh, oh, right, the, we killed Barb and we seem to kill Eleven, but that that doesn't mean that we hate female characters. We love them. Like it's just the male characters wouldn't be able to grow if these characters didn't die. You know, like or whatever bullshit it is. You know, and um, but but yeah, you just. You just crank the the knob up a little bit. I don't know. It's it is weird. Like it's it's different when you see something like for me when it's something like the Nice Guys, which again crafted by Shane Black, which where the um, the misogyny is so inherently horrible that like Black, Black literally can't care about a female character unless she's like eleven or twelve years old. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of seems part of me is like I would argue that that is a thing a trend that you could see in Black's work and, and, and shape it all the way through right like that's consistent like I don't know maybe McGee and Brian Dufferfield and all the other dudes who are involved in creating the babysitter were, but I think you're right I think that it's not so much that they were like hey yeah we're doing hip ironic 80s retro racism they're doing it for the same reasons that people were doing it in the 80s which is kind of this weird like we're pandering to white people but we need to cover up how blatant it is you know if only so we ourselves can sleep at night you know and um, yeah. speaking of which, and this is my last digression, I swear, and I feel like I'm not giving you enough j- uh, rounds to jump in and be like, yes, Jeff, um, I, ha- I too have some interesting points about racism in movies that I've I, Oh, I, I have not seen The Babysitter. Uh, I have seen the trailer for The Babysitter, and honestly, it was like, well, there's a film I'm never going to watch. Yeah, yeah, it is It is very much not your film. But, um, uh, but uh, is... I have to say, I had an epiphany um, when the articles came out about Joss Whedon talking about his Wonder Woman movie script, which is is that 
I really think that Marvel is missing out if they do not rehire Joss Whedon, but to play the leader in the next Hulk movie. Like, I don't know if you saw the photos of Joss Whedon at the Infinity War premiere, but that dude kind of looks like the leader. Like, he totally has... First of all, you're putting these in the show notes because I haven't seen these photographs, but now that you've said that, I'm going to look them up, which means that everyone else should not even have to do that. You should put them directly in the show notes. I wonder what you're trying to say to me, Graham. It makes no sense. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm looking... Oh, uh, really? You, uh-huh. don't, you don't think that Joss Whedon's got, like, this amazing forehead? Like, Whedon... I mean, Joss Whedon... Yeah, yeah. Joss Whedon's had that forehead for quite some time, Jeff. No, I know, but it's the angle that they got him at. The, you know, CBR. Whedon jealous of Russo brothers over Infinity War. I'm serious. Just Photoshop that green, Graham, um, as opposed to Graham Green. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's an enormously long head, and he's had it going on. But when he tilts it at that angle. It's he's like, had it going on. He's had that head going on for some time. He certainly has, but oh my god, there's a crucial thing happening with the hairline and the head tilt that I'm like, he can play the leader without prosthesis, and it would be great because he would be. You'd have you'd have to shave his head more first of all, yeah. and, and secondly, you're gonna have to get rid of that beard. You know, this is this is the thing, Graham. I'm like, I, I'm like, look, you watch, you looked out of those Marvel movies. You got to make the character look in a way that makes sense. I personally think, bear with me, the leader that we need for our times is the kind is basically the kind of guy who's like Joss Whedon. You know what I mean? He's going to have a little bit of the hipster beard. He is going to basically talk about, you know, how he's not woke enough. And that, okay, people are going to be really upset about his plans to take over the world. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he is the guy. He's the guy. Like, you've got to change up the leader. Modern times. Like, because who is, who is the leader in the original Hulk stories? He was like, you know, he was like an asshole know-it-all, you know? And I'm like, it's pretty, it's a pretty good, uh, yeah, that's not a bad fit. You know what I mean? Because Whedon is a guy who is smarter, is can surprise you like with how smart he is but at the same time also kind of falls into that hubristic wily coyote trap of buying his own press releases and probably because he's writing his own press releases and it gets into that point where i'm just saying graham think about it i know you've got some polls i know you've got some section in hollywood just start beating those drums now you know i'm just saying that uh, I, well, first of all, I thought you were talking about his his Batgirl thing that he said. No, because he was kind of like it took some ele- there was some stuff that didn't come together and blah blah blah, and people were speculating because he's you know essentially no, because he basically was kind of like I couldn't make the script work, and then when he was talking about what that meant, he was like what or whatever. He's like it's not that I didn't have a story. I just couldn't figure out how to piece together the story in a way that made any sense. To me, the Wonder Woman stuff was really fascinating because he was kind of like, "Yeah, I don't really see what they're talking about." I'm like, "Huh?" Because I gotta. Say oh, that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see the Wonder Woman. Oh, stuff. you didn't? Oh man. No, this this is this week. Y- yeah, 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 yeah. It what was, did what did he say? Uh, hold on, Joss Whedon, Wonder Woman. Let's see. He defends his uh, script. Let's take it in context. Um, so. Do, 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 do. 
there was another crack in Whedon's uh, feminist armor when an old script he wrote for a potential Wonder Woman movie leaked online was instantly cri- criticized as a sexist rendering of the superhero. The screenplay also happened to leak shortly before Patty Jenkins' big screen iteration of Wonder Woman hit theaters and earned great reviews. In his Variety interview, Whedon also addressed this particular backlash, saying he went back and reread the script after hearing all the criticism. I don't know which parts people didn't like, but I think it's great, he said. People say that it's not woke enough. I think they're not looking at the big picture. Whedon did concede that he wasn't, quote, the most woke individual who ever lived at that time, unquote, but did but said he still strongly believes that both script and characters within his Wonder Woman have, quote, integrity, unquote. I stand by it, he said. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of a thing. And it was funny, I got on this because I think someone who I follow on Twitter, maybe David Uzumeri or something like that, was kind of like, yeah, Joss Whedon should never say the word woke. Like, basically, it was like yeah. everything. <laughs> well, but to be fair, he really shouldn't. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And, and so I thought it was... So that sort of set was the fact that he was backing the script. I was fascinating because it was fascinating to me because he had a lot of outs that had been given him by people during the course of the the backlash to the script and then some some attempts to put it in certain context and understanding, uh, not least of which was the idea that the treatment that he had built up, you know, you get those treatments get built based on who's attached to the project at the time and et cetera, et cetera. Are you still there, Graham? Yeah. Okay. So it was my, my computer burbled at me in a way that was like, Oh God, I've gone and, and cut off Graham. No, your, your computer burbled cause I sent you something. Oh, on Skype. Oh my God. No wonder why I was confused as to what was going on. Oh, <laughs> Yes, Graham. How can you do that without? I was praying to God you would do something like that. That was brilliant, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. For, for the show notes, for the show notes, Jeff. That is that is that is a beautiful thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Whedon. Basically, I'm like, hey, whenever we like thinking about how comics aren't like a big mess, like let's keep in mind, like the rest of the rest of modern entertainment is kind of fucked up. In, in significant ways that either we don't notice or it's not all of it, but oof. and seeing Whedon basically um, stand by a Wonder Woman that sexually re- f- fetishized the female character like repeatedly is uh, is, uh, is interesting. It's interesting that he was kind of like, no, oh, but, it's, a, it's a solid Whedon, Yeah, Whedon's, uh, I think it's fair to say problematic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think everyone identified him as such some time ago. Well, one of the things that I think is actually interesting about Whedon, to me, is the extent to which Whedon himself identified himself as problematic, and essentially the end of Buffy and the entirety of Dollhouse and a certain chunk of Cabin in the Woods is literally all about Whedon oh. as... Uh, I don't know how to describe it as essentially the 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 nerdy outsider that Whedon presents in Xander as like sort of an early hero slash compatriot to to Buffy slash all women in the early thrusts of his shows later essentially becomes very explicitly the enemy and the villain in part because his 
um, bitterness over early rejections or current rejections drives him to be um, misogynistically reductive. You know? Now, what's really interesting is I I see where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but I think in both Dollhouse, if you're thinking about the whoever the scientist dude was, I can't yeah. remember who he was, mm-hmm. um, and the same actor is in Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Um, in both cases, while there is criticism inherent in the character, I don't think they are the villain of the piece. And I think that they are, to some extent, redeemed. And I think that's where it becomes interesting for me, that Whedon is instead presenting, uh, sure, they're bad, but they're not as bad as the real bad guys. That could be. Storyline. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that that's mm-hmm. that's much more insidious for, to me, but also much more in keeping with the way Whedon sees himself. Uh, that's, I think that, that makes a lot of sense as well. Although I would really have to sit down and tackle it. Cause I suspect weirdly enough, a lot of this came out from reading, uh, Emily Nussbaum, the New Yorkers TV critic who I don't like much. I generally, she, and admittedly it's a certain degree of professional jealousy in that that woman lives in San Francisco and gets paid to write television for the New Yorker. And therefore you think would do a better job of it than she does but there are times where she she actually is on the money and frankly it's very clear that she spent a lot of time thinking and writing about Buffy because she brings it back I don't even remember the series where she's talking about it Um, but she brings it back as sort of talking about um, again Whedon's kind of realization that he's part of the problem but you're right he's he only, only sees himself as part of the problem and ultimately well, but also not the real problem but not the real problem. the other thing yeah exactly exactly well i don't know i mean she sort of posits that by the end he he's i don't know i don't know i have to i'll have to think about it i, th- I think whedon repeatedly uh offers i mean think about god fuck what are the nerds called in buffy yes exactly the nerds the evil comic book trio or whatever the hell they are but, but then think about what he did with them in the fucking comic book, where they end up being the good guys. Well, one of them does, but not the unredeemed shithead. I don't remember what happens to the other beta male, and I think it's pertinent that isn't the third one gay, and therefore it's sort of all the more, you know, kind of underlines the idea. Isn't and- Andrew, is that the character? Isn't it more or less underlined that Andrew, by sort of is the redeemed, redemptive, the guy, the good guy who gets redeemed, but also more or less sort of comes out as gay and therefore reinforces that idea of, um, that, that essentially male sexuality is inherently predatory, you know? And Whedon sort of takes that as a, as a fait accompli kind of thing. And then adds into it that idea, that dimension that, and the, the, you know, the characters who try and hide it or who are nerdier or who seem to be the guy, the people that you can trust are in fact actively worse in that regard. Now I, I might be misremembering, but I could have sworn that all of the nerds get ultimately get redeemed in the comic. Well, I, 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 and I, I genuinely might be misremembering cause I dropped off, right. but I, I, you I, would I, know better than I, cause I did definitely didn't follow it that far down the path and it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me, but again, I don't know. Uh, I think there was the group of the three guys. One, of course, is, you know, was absolutely unredemptive. And then I think came, I can't even imagine how they could do a face turn on him. But 
I don't even remember this. Who's the middle of the two? <laughs> like I'm like, there's the one who got all skin pulled off, right? And there's the there's Andrew, and there's the other one, and there's the other one, right? And it's not, and Jonathan is was not part of that clique. So who the no. fuck is the other one? And what happens to? I don't know if he. Uh, they are called the trio. They are Warren, Jonathan, and Andrew. Jonathan is one of them. Oh, interesting. Okay, well there we go. There we go. Okay, so right, Jonathan and Jonathan, of course, Danny Strong, later a Hollywood screenwriter. Yes, and and the the um the, the boyfriends in Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very interesting that you are so into Danny Strong's career. No, it's true. I, right? I'm, a, I'm a big fan he, of Danny Strong. <clears throat> he he wrote The Butler. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Oh my God, he's writing. He wrote Guys and Dolls. No. Yeah. No. He's he's. Apart- He's impressively he wrote, successful. He wrote the last two Hunger Games movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, he he's he is he is a big screenwriter in that sense. Like he, he you look at his screenwriting. He's a creator and writer of Empire, the book series. Holy shit! I did not know that. Are you serious? Yes. yes there you go. Oh my god! Yeah, it's him. He's holding like two Emmys there. Oh my god! God bless him. I think that's kind of great. You know, there you go. Yeah. Good for him. Exactly. Good for him. Holy <laughs> shit. That's amazing. <laughs> I like how we're like, there you go. Everything came all right for Jonathan in the end. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, but I think that I think that Jonathan's sort of a special case because he he existed. He played a role in the series beforehand. And also, I don't know. Who knows? Why am I arguing? Uh, at I, this I'm, point? I'm honestly trying to find out where, where Jonathan where Jonathan ended up. In, uh, uh, like, like Jonathan Jonathan's... was murdered, apparently. <laughs> oh, okay. So he was redeemed after all. That's a shame. And Andrew sa- Andrew killed Jonathan, apparently. Oh, did he? Oh. Yeah. Is, is that in the course of the show? Yeah. It's in the course of the show, is it? That kind of yeah, makes apparently sense. Apparently so. Yeah. Hmm. Apparently Andrew kills Jonathan in, in the seventh season. God help me! I hate to say it, but I I'm like shit. Like I that Buffy is like one of the few shows where not only did I watch all the episodes, I pretty much watched them twice. So I'm a little appalled that I'm I was forgetting that. I was gonna say Buffy is one of the ones where I've always been like I should rewatch it, and this time goes on, and it's like maybe I shouldn't. You, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm really glad that I rewatched it when I did, but I also had that feeling when it was done, like I kind of don't need to watch it kind of ever again, kind of. You know, because it's I don't know. It is what it is. So, uh, so yeah. So, so we covered a bunch of topics. <laughs> I love that the show notes are going to be great. <laughs> Whedon is leader. Whedon is misogynist. But the previous topic is racism in Hollywood. Uh, die Hard. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So I've, I'm very impressed that you're keeping show notes as we actually do the podcast. Oh, I'm not. As opposed right. to me, that I, do, I make them as we edit. No, 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 no. I just – I know because I've been talking too goddamn much, and I'm appalled at myself. So so let's see where we're sitting at. Graham, talk about, let's talk about other comics. Let's talk about what you want to talk about. I feel like I just kind of went on like a crazy rant where people are like – No, oh, I'm, no I'm, I'm, I'm happy with your rant. I'm right there. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I read. I read all the Fantastic Fours. I read all the like a fuck ton of, of Thanos' stuff. I I have read and it's not out until this Wednesday. But I've read the DC Nation, the twenty five cent, uh, like let's get everyone on board the DC books mm-hmm. thing. And here was my surprise from that: I really like Bendis as Clark Kent. Really? 
I really like Bendis' Clark Kent. Huh. Uh, and I, I am surprised by that. I'm not surprised I like Bendis' Perry White. I fully expected to, and he's everything I expected him to be. Mm-hmm. But Bendis does a, don't get me wrong, Bendis dies version of right. like the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent, but it works. Huh. You know, and I was like, huh, this, this is, this is not what I expected. And yet I'm, I'm very, I'm feeling very positive about it. What did you think, um, to pivot, but it's DC related, so I figure I can get away with it. What did you think of Batman 45, which probably will be supplanted by Batman 46 this week, which you probably it, 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 I have, it, it is and I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a lot of people are really pissed at it. And I am enjoying it as the weird Elseworlds that it is. Mm-hmm. I feel that I'm a bad Booster Gold fan for that, especially by the time you get to the end of 46. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there, there's some... The story kind of only works if you think Booster Gold is genuinely incompetent, mm-hmm. which has kind of never really been the case. Right. Uh, but it's... it's. I kind of like it. I kind of like the 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 weirdness of it and there's something in 46 in particular that makes it feel like it's also king parodying himself or at least commenting on earlier storylines um which is which was unexpected um i'm also really glad it's only three issues Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like i think i think if it was going on any longer than what is essentially a month because it's a bi-weekly book, right? That that I I think I I think it would wear out its its welcome astonishingly quickly. Well, I am I am fascinated by because other things that I read on the plane were basically I think something like four issues of Batman that I had not read. Like I had read the first part of the Poison Ivy storyline, and then the issues just piled up, and then I basically went through and read them all at a go. And I was fascinated the extent to which I really did find myself on an issue by issue basis, like liking it more than I disliked it, but also never getting through an issue without having some element that kind of really rubbed me that the, any a certain degree of the wrong way. You know what I mean? I uh, forty forty six will will anger you. Mm. Forty six will there's there's something in particular in there that I think will make you you very unhappy. Um, and what is interesting is it's coming at the same day as the DC Nation thing, which has a a, a Joker short in it mm-hmm. that is leading into forty eight, mm. um, and is like I, I want to say it's maybe eight pages at most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually far stronger than than the Booster Gold storyline. Hmm. Well, honestly, um, and, the... and, and, and... Oh, sorry, on you go. No, no, no. I was going to say the one thing I sort of liked about Forty Five is just in a number of pages, it seemed like a disposable story. Like I was kind of hoping that it would be just a disposable story. You know, like you said, as that sort of Elseworlds version that it was, it was kind of like, oh, this is fun. This is a take on Booster Gold that doesn't, you know, bother me for whatever reason. I guess maybe because I don't have a lot of fondness for the character. But it was also kind of, in a way, the Poison Ivy story right before it had a certain element of 
oh, I kind of like this idea. I like how it's executed and I kind of like how it's wrapped up. But it also struck me at the same time that it was shocking that the for me, the Poison Ivy story wraps up based on an, an emotional beat tied to one of King's earlier storylines that I don't feel was in the storyline. So it was odd. Like it felt it felt like it, it kind of felt like a cheat. And I guess, again, that sort of sums up a lot of King's Batman a lot of times is there's times where I'm like, yeah, that worked and it felt like a cheat or that really didn't work. And probably because it really felt like a cheat. So I don't know how I'm going to get through. I'm still reading the books. <laughs> the art's beautiful. And I don't yeah. hate it. Like when you say like, oh, you're going to be angered. Like uh, it'll be interesting to see what that no, is. It, it, you it's, know what I mean? Yeah, I can't. I'm yeah, annoyed I can't or irritated, is. but you know. It's but. it's something. Do you remember the uh, the I Am Suicide arc? Yes. Which has the issue of Batman fighting everyone and basically going over his version of his origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I remember that? Yes, I do remember that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that he essentially says, like, uh, I am a scared little boy, and I, I like, I, I, I'm dealing with drama very badly. Mm-hmm. So, so it's quasi-related to that. Mm-hmm. It's quasi-related to who is Bruce Wayne if you take the trauma away. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, how capable is Bruce Wayne if you take the drama away? Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think it's, it's, I think it says something that you'll be like, no, that's, that's not who Bruce Wayne is. Well, actually, it's kind of interesting because even just at the end of issue forty-five, where Booster Gold finds Bruce Wayne in this Batman-free universe, or rather, I should say, this universe where Batman, Bruce Wayne, did not become Batman, apparently. Uh it felt like it kind of didn't that character didn't feel real to me like there's a couple of because there's a couple of beats in there complete with him like listening to Booster Gold and then whatever he does to betray Booster Gold you know whereas where it just kind of felt like King's like oh what's the most surprising reaction for this Bruce Wayne to have in this scene at this moment or for this revelation. But at no point yeah. did it feel like that was a, uh, he spent a lot of time thinking about what that, what that character would be. And maybe I'm wrong. And, and in a way it might be really interesting. I, I, I yeah, we'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I will be genuinely curious what you think of the what happens in forty six. Interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I've read lately. I read it like a metric shit ton of of two thousand eighteen and Judge Dredd stuff. Right. Uh, I read like I basically caught up in like last year and a half of magazine stuff. Mm. Um, and it's I've said before that Lawless, the the Dan Abnett, Phil Winslade uh, strip, mm-hmm. is is a. a just one of my favorite comics right now mm-hmm. now that i've caught up with it mm-hmm. it just genuinely is it's it's amazing and it's it's wonderful for playing with the uh, like forgotten elements of dread continuity mm-hmm. in ways that you totally don't expect so i don't think you've read any of it right uh... so it, it takes place on an alien planet Right, because because you know 
dread way back when, mm-hmm. you know, the Judge Child Quest, like, would go to alien planets. Right. And there, there would be Earth outposts. It takes right. place among these outposts. It's essentially a Western in space. I've read I read a few early installments. I don't know if it was right when the Lawless concept came, came out, but around that year or two years where I was reading 2000 AD um, with each installment, I know that there or and I had the magazine subscription. I know Lawless popped up in there. And I thought it was okay. Like, you know, it didn't really, that particular storyline didn't do much with me, for me, which is probably why every time you mention it, I'm like, I should be more supportive well, it's, of this because I know Grant he, talks here's about how he likes it. It's all one storyline is the thing. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so the the town, uh, which I, Badrock is the town, mm-hmm. uh, it is funded by months which was is like the food substitute from like really early in Judge Dredd. <laughs> it's founded by the Munts Corporation, wow. uh, who basically midway through the series, for reasons that would be a spoiler, not only withdraw the support but decide they're going to town, they're going to war with the town. Mm-hmm. That it all really belongs to them, and if they can't have it, they will just kill everyone in the town. Hmm. The end. Uh, and so you have Lawless herself, who is uh, who is a liar, and is this this is set up very early in the strip. Is not who she says she is to the point where she might not even be like that. Might not be her name. She might not be a judge. Mm-hmm. All of this might be a lie. Mm-hmm. And c- certain people there seem to know this for sure, but never come out and say it. Hmm. Uh, she has to. She has to get the town to to basically follow her into war hmm. and things just continually get worse her deputy essentially has a nervous breakdown uh and then you know there's just it's it becomes this wonderful ensemble piece mm-hmm. uh the more it continues and I, I i really i find it a wonderful sort of retooling of Dread because Dread is ultimately an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. But Dread is an ensemble piece where everyone is in awe of Dread mm-hmm. and is willing to do what he says because he is continually proven right mm-hmm. and he is the law and he is he is so determined with what he does. Right. And Lawless is an ensemble piece where everyone likes her but no one really trusts her mm-hmm. or believes her and she keeps on making wrong choices. Huh. Uh, and so it's flipping everything on its head. Right, right. And instead of having, like, the city, which is this, you know, massive behemoth that Dredd is trying to tame, you have this town that Lawless is trying to build. Right. And trying to create a society out of. You know, and it, it just it, it becomes this weird inverse of Dredd mm-hmm. in ways I'm not even sure if it's meant to be or if I'm reading it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just something that I, I'm, I'm fucking in love with. Like, I really, really, really think it's, it's amazingly strong. And also, Phil Winsley's work is staggeringly good. Mm-hmm. It is, it's black and white. Uh, it's remarkably fine line work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it, it's lovely. It, it's beautiful, beautiful work. And his designs throughout the book are very um, European, question mark? Mm-hmm. Uh in a way that's it's just uh, you can believe it's part of the like the Judge Dredd universe, mm-hmm. but also it's very distinct and in, in and of itself. 
and also the continued swearing uh, amuses me greatly because you can swear in the magazine and they keep on making reference to the fact that like swearing is actually outlawed in Mega City 1 which That's is why you right. never hear that swear right. which is a great joke it's yeah. a really good joke <laughs> that is a good joke um... uh, but yeah so there's that but it, it's just you know it, I, I, there's something very similar to what you were saying about uh, Master of Kung Fu there was something I, I found the read like catching up on the 2008 stuff and the magazine stuff was comforting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I, and I'm not saying that it's bad at all. I think it's all really good stuff. Right. But you know, reading Strontium Dog or reading Judge Dredd mm-hmm. does have that like weird nostalgia slash. It's also good stuff mm-hmm. slash. You don't have to think too much. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, yeah, this works for me. Right. This is this is this is my speech right now. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's good. I don't think I mentioned this, but I also read a lot more of the the Vampire Tales collections. <laughs> it was, I know you, I know you got the third volume when the, the sale was going yeah, on, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I'm and I'm now actually up to. Uh, and didn't the first volume come out? I, you know what? I wanted to say, like, I'm not sure if I have, like, all four volumes or not. Um, I might. Uh, but um, I'm certainly on volume... No, I only have I only have maybe three books, three so maybe volume out. four came out, but it wasn't covered in the sale, so I didn't pick it up. And it's it's fascinating, some of the... I mean, it's just... For one thing, what I'm shocked by is uh, Don McGregor writes a Morbius story that just goes on and on and on. And for those people who, like, I was like, yeah, Morbius, the character that nobody likes. I'm like, Don McGregor is like, don't worry, I'll redeem him. And I'm just like, ooh, at just every issue that comes out, I'm like, stop, don't, stop this, please, Don McGregor. Let this storyline die. Um but it's fascinating for me about how there's characters and images. There, honestly, there's images in his Morbius story, most of which the art is usually by Tom Sutton, but it it skips around. It's almost like never the same uh, artist um, from issue to issue. Uh, but there are images. There was an issue. There was an image at one point of it that I'm like, that's. I think that's an image that 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 McGregor goes and more or less reuses almost wholesale for his like later Black Panther stuff so really interesting watching it in a in a way of seeing McGregor sort of get his chops I guess and and really the idea that he has by the time he get everyone thinks of him as an absurdly bombastic and melodramatic writer um when you put him on like Kill Raven and uh jungle action those black panther stuff but i'm like he actually had worked a lot of it out of his system which is a relief so reading this stuff is kind of kind of weird there's there's a an amazing story that i thought was uncredited by larry lieber where it, basically it's a vampire chooses to turn a prostitute into a vamp into a, his vampire slave that should so she can lure men you know, back to the hotel to have sex, and then they both, uh, you know, drink the blood. And so it's up to the pimp 
to to basically battle the vampires. Like I was like, Larry Lieber wrote a pimp versus vampire story. Like that's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, like it's really. <laughs> I'm like that doesn't seem right at some basic level. But at the same time, there's like amazing. Um, there's there's also an amazing short story by Doug Moench that honestly would make a pretty goddamn good movie that's uh, gypsies versus vampires. And I'm like, this is a pretty good gypsies versus vampire story. Like, I, I'm kind of shocked. The, the hook being such as it is that the gypsies are the guys who figure out what's happening. This vampire is, like, basically killing off villagers and... and um, you know, his figure has allied himself with a con man in the in the neighborhood to like trick people um, into going up into the mountains so that he can like kill them and they just sort of disappear basically. But gypsies versus vampires, I'm like, yeah, this works. This is this is actually a pretty decent extended story that would that that totally is is all right. Like. I don't know the vampire stuff. Nothing has been quite as sublime as having um, Chris Claremont tell write Blade stories. I really kept waiting for that, but um, so yeah, you're gonna be disappointed. There's like a there's like some crazy story of like it's it, it, it honestly for me the thing that bums me out was I really had hoped that the vampire tales would be more stories of just sort of the endless number of oddball um, horror heroes that they cranked out. You know, like yeah. the Marvel had that other horror collection that was just like three issues of, I don't remember what, whatever junk they, they cranked out. But, you know, I'm like, what, you know, what happened to Gabriel Devil Hunter? Like, like Gabriel Devil Hunter, and then you get Lilith, and then you Wait, get. Wait, no, but are you actually asking what happened to him? No, I Doesn't mean, he I don't show really up at Defenders. No, he probably, of course, no, he does. Really? Does no, he really? Does he do the JMDM? The JMDM? Yeah, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm fairly sure there's, there's like an, an entire arc. Of course, there with is. With Gabriel. Oh man. Yeah. I'll have to get in there. I have to. I, I have to get all over it. You, so. you don't, because it, it's not good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Dematius' uh, Defenders is um, primarily Dematius thought that he was really deep, but he wasn't. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I can believe you. Oh man, there's like a Paul Galassi vampire tale story that is ragged as hell that he wrote that makes no sense, but also has the benefit of having of being told without dialogue. And then Jerry Conway and his wife like start cranking out these stories that are terrible. Like, honestly, if you really want to see like some of the, the, the artists that you writers and artists that you have ex, writers, particularly be to turn out terrible work with some amazing <laughs> art. Do you want to, do you want to see some of your favorite creators with their worst work? Yeah. This is the chance, man, because let me tell you, you won't feel the same after the story in which the people of the far future end up inventing a time machine that ends up pulling people from the past into the future. But some of, one of those people is a vampire, but because the society is so um, become so passive, they have no defenses against him until it turns out that one of the other people that they pulled 
uh, out from the past in in a twist surprise is Jack the Ripper who ends up killing the vampire. And I'm just oh like, wow, I know, right? <laughs> I got to say, Graham, it's been a long time since I think we've had a suitable uh, new wait what ringtone. But I really do want to add, <laughs> if I had a phone where it was just you being oh wow. And that, <laughs> Is the oh best. no, though. We're back. Oh, well, actually, it doesn't really matter. We don't have to include that, and we're back. It no, crazy. not at all. I have no idea why call recorder is just kind of like yeah for a couple uh, of may, seconds. M- well, maybe we maybe we should count down in the future. Yeah, maybe like, we should. Oh, yeah, yeah, we should yeah, be yeah, like exactly. three, two, one, blah. <laughs> that, that should blah, be our next blah. podcast. Three, two, blah. one, blah. <laughs> I uh, see. If we're putting this in, that would be the name of the, t- the episode. <laughs> uh, oh shit! Making notes. Gotta make notes. Uh, anyway, uh, so Graham McMillan, um, should we should we part? Is are there other things to impart? Uh, uh, honestly, I just want you to see the fucking Avengers film so we can talk about it. I know. I know. Well, I'll do that, and we're talking next week. Are we talking next week? Are we talking? I don't week? know. We don't know anymore. This uh, sure. Let's farce. talk next week. Yeah. We haven't actually made any plans. Let's talk next week. Okay. Well, so uh, way, also but... when, when we talk next week, it's going to be free comic book day. I've read all the free comic book day comics. Well, there you go. Do you want to tell people in advance what they should look out for or consider? Uh, it. Uh, I. I am actually embargoed, so I can't. I had to. I had to sign something saying that I couldn't say anything, and uh, before the third at all, huh? At, wow. at all, okay. yeah. All right, well, that's uh, fine. So I, I can't. Okay. Um, which is a shame, because I really want to say something about a particular comic. I'll tell you when we start recording, because I really want to just get it out. Ooh, okay. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds fabulous. Uh, there's things, you know, yeah. So let's talk next week about the Avengers Deep Dive. Everyone who is listening now, get yourself to the theater, and we'll have just a big old spoiler-rich discussion. Of it. I see, here's the thing. I think you're really going to like it, and I, I'm excited for you, Jeff. Well, that's great. That's great. I mean, I, I know that I've said that. Just wait. You'll be like, eh, it was <laughs> it was what I wanted. <laughs> you know, I have to say, this is the thing that I think is really interesting. Like, I just, I'm like, yeah, I'll see it. I'm looking forward to it. But like those people who are like, this is it. This is what it's been building to. I gotta go. I'm like. Yeah, okay. You know, like even someone who's, oh, I don't know, one of the reviewers was sort of like, you know, Marvel's recent quality trifecta of, I don't know what it was like. They were like, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. No, no, it almost certainly would have been like Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther in this. Yeah. Uh, No, no, before this. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is going into this, the, the Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and I think they were like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I was like, Eesh. yeah, exactly. Eesh. Really? Ooh. <laughs> Although, frankly, between Spider-Man: Homecoming and Thor: Ragnarok, and this, I can see it. Uh, well, I, I'm Black Panther, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I, Black like Panther. That's, yeah, that's Black three. Panther, yeah. I, it's <laughs> funny. Uh, my THR editor uh, was like, "What? What did you think of it when I saw it?" And I was like, "I, I liked it." And he was like, "That's four Marvel movies in a row you've liked." Yeah. That's <laughs> like, are you sure you're okay? <laughs> That's great. Your editor is awesome. Uh, 
But yeah. Although, well, although it's funny, there's a scene, and I'm not going to say what it is, but we'll talk about it next week. But there's a scene in Infinity War that literally stopped me cold, and I was like, you fucking morons. <laughs> like, like the the most, like, they're, they're, you're not doing something now purely because the plot demands you don't do it. And I said that to him, and I was like, there's a scene that stops me cold. And I, I, I'm like, you're fucking Lawrence, you're not doing this. And he's like, oh, is it this scene? And it was a completely different scene. That's so funny. And you were like... And I was like, no, I was like, no it's this scene. And he was like, oh, yeah, that too. And it, it's funny because uh, one of the things I did for THR this week was when all the reviews came out, I did a roundup of the reviews. Right. And I, almost all the positive reviews mm-hmm. have some sort of qualifier in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost all of them are like, you know, it's a great film for a Marvel film that is made to a formula. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think and I think that's fair. I mean, I'm sort of like I've seen people on Twitter who are literally like, oh my god, I can't wait. I'm seeing this movie in like four hours. Or like, I know people. Like I said, the person at work who I was like, have you seen it this weekend? They're like, I saw it last night. There was somebody I know who was not at work on Friday because they and their kid were going to the movie. And all of that is really wonderful, and I'm super happy for them. And I want to see the movie, but I'm also kind of like, it won't kill me if I miss it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll see it on the big screen. I part It's more the, of course, again, it's the, the pay-to-play, being able to discuss it with you, being able to run through some of the, the... That part is, of course, half the enjoyment, as it is for most of these people. But but at the same time, I'm sort of like, yeah, it's okay. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be fine, you know? Like, like I, I watched, I watched the first eighteen minutes because Edie was running late. Like after twelve days of work, I came home, I had pizza to eat, and I was like, "What am I gonna watch? I'm totally brain dead." And I put on the first eighteen minutes of, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, the original. Because what says happy killing time while eating pizza more than the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I got to say, like, I was watching it. And I don't know. It was, it was I had to pause it at eight minutes in and be like, how is this movie so perfect? You know, like I the first 18 minutes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are fucking great. Well, let me just spoil it for you, Jeff. Mm. The first 20 minutes of Infinity War is Thanos with a chainsaw. I'm I'm there. I'm gonna have to see if there's a. Minute and he, he, he's just to. cutting the head off of everyone from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Taika Waititi comes up, he just chops his head off. <laughs> Tessa Thompson comes up, chops her head off. It's I mean it's it's savage and the amount of blood. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that they, they would let that on the screen in a, a Marvel movie. But there you go. You know, Graham. Someday, someday you'll see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you'll be like, oh, oh. No, I, I never will. I'm just going to throw that out there. I know you're not. That's why I say that. But for what it's worth, there's surprisingly little blood in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. At I, one I, that, point... That actually does not surprise me yeah. at all, to, to be honest. Toby Hooper had actually at one point had talked about seeing if he could get a G rating for it because he thought that he had it, a wait, good shot at it. Wait, is it Toby? I always thought it was Tobe. Maybe it is Tobe Hooper. I don't know. I was uh, Tobe, Tobe. I just figured he was spelling it differently. But maybe it's pronounced Tobe. All right. Here we go to the Google. Because uh, honestly, I feel like, Graham, if anything has t- uh, taught you, you know, you've learned anything from podcasting with me for five years, is if Jeff pronounces it, it's wrong. You know, it's 
For the life of me, I can't remember who it is, but in the Eisner uh, judging, there was a creator where someone said their name out, out loud for the first time I'd ever heard it. And I was like, is that how you say their name? And I can't remember who it is, and I really wish I could. Because it was one of these ones where, like, I'm sure you and I have said the name multiple times and gotten it wrong. Uh-huh. I, God, I can't remember who it is now. It's good to drive me mad. But someone from South Korea apparently write, wrote into some... I mean, this is like the comments on somebody's blogspot post, but it was the first results where the person was like, I'm 100% certain it should be pronounced the same as Toby or Toby. So, um, but maybe that's wrong. How to pronounce Toby or... No, no. Some of these are like... Yeah. Oh, well. Mr. We Toby, may never Mr. know. Tobe, Mr. Tobe, call me Toby Hooper. Yeah, I think it's Toby. Anyway, so, but I was saying it Tobe, like, probably right up until, you know, until I opened my mouth. But yeah, G rating, all I'm saying is, Graham, like, admittedly, the first 18 minutes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre are not going to, like, fry your burger either. But I just, I, I find myself being like, uh... I don't know. I'm like Avengers Infinity War. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's amazing how much I would. Part of me is like, probably just rewatch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre if given my own druthers. Like you know, so. Eh. Well, maybe you'll get lucky and you'll go to the theater, but they'll be like, we we've we've accidentally deleted Avengers Infinity War. So we're going to but, show you Texas but we'll, Chainsaw we'll tell you what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we'll show you Texas Chainsaw That, that is actually the great thing about the Alamo Draft House. Is I would like the odds of that happening are <laughs> not zero. <laughs> yeah, they're not zero. They're not high. But if it was ever going to happen anywhere, it really was going to happen. There. In fact, I think I think. They oh my god, I'm the, I'm the same age as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh my god! It came out the same month I was born, Jeff. Oh. Oh, came out four days before my I was born. Really? Oh, Graham, that's like the best. Which is one more reason to like you. And I think all the more reason why you and Kate have to sit down, get the dogs, um, you know, pile around the old TV, put a log on the fire and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I, I The reason I found that out is I was looking up to see how long it is. Mm-hmm. And I think you could watch it like twice in the length of Infinity War. Yeah, I'm totally sure it's a short movie. It's uh, short also, movie. Infinity War. Uh, I again looked at my my phone when the credits started because uh-huh. I because I was like, D- as long as this felt, it didn't feel like two hours forty minutes, which is the running time of the movie. Right, Jeff. It's not. The credits take more than twenty minutes. What really? Wow. Yeah. I, be- yeah. well, I believe it though. I believe that I do believe um, 20 minutes of credits. Good Lord. Okay. Right. Anyway, we, we were wrapping things up. We were, we were, that was the thing and, that and was supposed we, to happen. We got, we got totally like, we totally, totally got distracted. We were, we were 10 minutes ago going to wrap it up. And then we, we took a, <laughs> a bypass. Um, we're going to be back next week, mm-hmm. but this is the part where I say that there's going to be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, there's also going to be posts up at the Wait What Tumblr this week. Wait What Pod. Is it Wait? Wait I've forgotten. Wait What Pod. Tumblr. Com. Tumblr. Com. I, Jeff, I actually forgot that. I say that every single episode and I forgot mm-hmm. what's happening to my brain. We're at Wait What Podcast on Twitter, though. I remember that much. Jeff is also on Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S C I D. I'm on Twitter at Graham M. At G R A E M E M. 
again, whenever I say that, I think I have added too many E-M. But no, add G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff winds up his spiel and prepares to say it one more time. Yes, I Jeffrey. Um, Listeners, we're so incredibly grateful for you. Um, You managed to keep us on point, keep us motivated. Uh, There's... The number of times where Graham and I are frantically trying to figure out when and how we're going to be able to talk um, uh, to do a podcast, which is great because it means I actually uh, that Graham has to make the time to talk to me and listen to me, and it's wonderful. I know, God, that's a struggle. I know it's true. It's true. <laughs> so I'm not sure it would be it's worth so the sacrifice for him otherwise. <laughs> Fuck you, Lester. I'm going. <laughs> anyway, this is probably going to be my most successful outro yet. I can tell. Uh, so we're incredibly grateful for your presence, as well as the presents that we get from the oh, one. No. bucks uh to to be able to keep us um sharp and and um and honed to like a razor's edge uh we're especially grateful to the kind crew at american ninth art studios as well as empress audrey queen of the galaxy um we are indebted to their continuing support of this podcast thank you all so much jeffrey Grimathon. <laughs> we will be back in a week. We will be hopefully talking about Avengers. If, if Jeff has seen it, we will almost certainly be talking about some of the free comic book day stuff. Uh, and I suspect we're going to be talking about that 20% DC book as well, just to, to bring things around on what the hell DC is doing uh, anytime soon. Also, I, I could be wrong. I think this week the new Avengers just announced Avengers launches. So we might end up talking about that. Who knows? Who knows if I'm, I might be lying about all of that. <laughs> Who could even tell? You'll find out in a week. Until then, bye! Beautiful. Wow. That suddenly, like, just zipped right in there. That was, that was beautiful. Beautiful.